Hello, everybody. Welcome to the episode of Lego Talk Star Wars. I'm your host, Lee. I'm here. I'm joined by Spencer. Spencer, how are you? Doing well, man. And then against all odds, shocking the world, upset of the century, we've got Jamie on the call. Jamie, how are you? Uh, upset that he's now the host and I'm not the host, just because I was maybe not going to be here today. So Gosh, that- I hope I never, like tell you I'm not sure if I'm going to marry you or not or something, because then I'm just out, apparently. So that's that's what we call a tease in the business. I was I was teasing the fact that you might not be on the pod, so people didn't know. I introduced somebody else first. They think maybe you're not on. See, then you would have been tension. a guest host. If he's just the new host, it means I'm dead. <gasps> creates space tension. You're ghost. here. Now I'm a space I ghost. can't believe you're here. I'm excited. Well, space ghost, coast to coast has been canceled. I'm the new space ghost. Sorry, Jamie. This is him admitting that he's returning to his one true love. You've been replaced, sir. Return to your family. Jamie didn't even – there was not not even a threat of a, a, a baby being born. All that was completely made up just to get another week out of Spencer on the podcast. That's all that was. All right. We're here to review – what is this? Episode 6, I believe, of a so- Strangers, Strangers and Friends. Is that right? Uh, far, far away. Oh, I'm sorry. Far I've got the wrong notes up. All right, let me pull the right notes up. Far, far away. That's Shakespeare right. Friends, I'm pretty sure that's like Shakespeare. Like Rome, uh, that was actually also. the last episode of Wheel of Time that I did on Tuesday, which is I might Busy as well man. plug. Might as well plug. That's a really fun podcast that we do called As the Wheel of Time Turns. What? Comes out every what? You have a Wheel of Time podcast? Tell I me sh- more. But I maybe sure at do. the end of the episode so that like people can listen to this first. But I want I want to hear more. Tell me about this as a nerd who is a fan. Well, I'll tell you right now. It's called the As the Wheel of Time Turns. We review every episode of the Amazon series Wheel of Time. We're in season two right now, having a good time. It's me, Sarah, BJ, and Bree. It's a four-person pod. It's a lot of fun. Well, okay, I'm going to judge you right now. Is it good or not? Um, Perrin was the worst character in season one. Every character in season two is good. Perrin is now acceptable, even if not awesome. Is that about your take so far? Yeah, that's exactly right. I thought season one, I just described season one as a D plus, maybe C minus, and uh, season two as B minus and improving, maybe even higher than that. Really, really a lot better season in season two. And I graded both of them higher, but that was with the acknowledgement of rose colored glasses that I'm a huge fan and was going to forgive a lot. So I'm, I think you and I feel the same. I just am charitable. Well, all right. So speaking of huge fans, check this out. So the the name of the episode is called Far, Far Away. Last year at the Star Wars celebration, which is Disney puts on, but it is the big con for Star Wars goers every year. That's one big weekend. They all all descend, I believe, in Florida and do a big Star Wars thing. Someone asked Dave Filoni, where is Ezra? And he said, far, far away. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. he named this episode Far, Far Away, and he told Disney, hey, on all of your Star Wars social media, show people what I did. So they posted a bunch of things at Dave Filoni's request to show everybody his his cute little trick there. So there you go. Far, far away. I'm excited to talk about this episode. Um, let's start with Jamie first. Jamie, what did you think of the episode? How do you feel like the season's going? I liked it a lot. I feel like the season I, – I was trying to actually sell somebody on the, on the show um, who hadn't seen all the extended lore and had friends who had and felt vaguely – you know, they didn't use the word gatekept, but they felt the way. I was trying to sell them. I told them that it does start slow, but every episode is better than the episode before, and the slow start has its own payoff where you understand later why it was slow in a way that makes sense and, and is is uh, and is worthwhile, I think. Um, I feel like more or less every single episode is better than the prior episodes. I think you and I are, are similar in that. I, that that's 
about what I would say about the show is that it started slow. It's gotten better. I really like it. Let's see. Let's see Spencer's heel turn. Spencer, why'd you hate it? He hates it. I, I will say there was one scene in here that I thought was a complete misstep. I thought it was a, 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 an emotional failure in a way that could only work with this being season five Rebels. But that was one scene, and the rest of it ranged in my mind from perfectly acceptable to quite good. Continuing the trend, I feel like, of this season of overall improvement. Overall pieces coming together better and significantly better execution than we saw in the first couple episodes. So I'm going to get ahead of you, and I'm going to maybe, like, you know, uh, undermine your buildup that you're probably going for. The two of you had strong feelings about Thrawn, emotional, prior, knew who he was, knew what he looked like. Yep. Were you, so far, met expectations, impressed, disappointed? What was your Thrawn awakening? Spencer, you go, Spencer, you go first on this. I would say exceeded expectations just because I was trying to temper them on the basis that Disney's disappointed me before with how they execute things in Star Wars I'm hoping I'm going to like. I thought, it, though I did not watch Rebels, and so I'm not, not as familiar with the Disney canon version of Thrawn, this matched a lot of what I remember from the expanded universe. The cold, calculating nature, the thinking three steps ahead, the view of a man that has wheels turning in ways that are so far removed from your ability to understand and so complicated that it boggles the imagination. This is the Machiavellian Thrawn that I was hoping for. And I thought the voice, the character, the bearing, particularly the world that he's built around him with this kind of isolated little imperial force here was well executed. I liked it quite a bit. So, you know, how sometimes you'll be talking to somebody who speaks a, another language and they'll be like, yeah, uh, I want to use this word from my my home language. And it it, it, it kind of means this, but there's no English word for it. So my feeling about seeing Thrawn is is like if there was another language and and like fulfilled was not strong enough of a word like English hasn't created a word that made me as happy. Uh, it's 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 past fulfilled. It's past exceeded expectations. Um, and I was really nervous for it as like as Spencer was because like I followed him in the expanded universe. I read the Heir to the Empire and the Thrawn trilogy. I've read the new books. I watched Rebels. He is. Uh, my my favorite Star Wars characters are like Yoda, baby Yoda. And that's just like, I can't, nobody can touch that. It's never going to change. Under that is Palpatine and Thrawn immediately. Um, so Thrawn is like a top five Star Wars character for me. It's the first time I've ever seen him in live action. I thought it was done extremely well. When we get there, I'll talk about all the little things that they did to tie into the character. But they were doing a lot, like a casual viewer probably gets the sense like, ooh, this guy's been in exile a while, but seems like he's got his shit together. He seems pretty smart. He seems prepared. But for somebody who has followed the lore, they did a lot of little things to connect you to the character, which I'll talk about when we get there. Jimmy, you having very little prior exposure or history with the character, what did you make of him on your first impression? Um, I was whelmed. Like, hey! Oh, all right, that's good. Like, so I was expecting to be under, mostly because you two have talked him up so much, but also every single character in this damn show has talked him up so much. Mm -hmm. I was expecting to be underwhelmed, and I found him sufficient and more or less what I was expecting, and I was not impressed. But the fact that I wasn't disappointed at all, I actually do count as a win, and I just haven't seen enough of him to really know him at all. So I count it as a, a, a hesitant win. 
Fantastic. All right, let's jump in the recap. I want to get to I want to get to the episode. So, um, previously on, we focus on the Imperials, Thrawn being alive, where Thrawn is. A lot of Thrawn stuff. Saving Ahsoka. The fact that Sabine is missing. Sabine going willingly. They made sure to put that in the previously on, so you remember that Sabine went willingly. Ahsoka working with the Purgles. Hera, I'll find them. I promise. May the Force be with you. So we start in super crazy hyperspace with the Purgles, and it looks like they are um, sort of swimming. While they're doing it, it was like a swimming motion that they seem to be doing. We've addressed this. Well. You, you definitely don't use those side fins to hyperspace. That That's not what fins do. They, they are maneuvering. They're, no, they're flirting with each other. Those are sex organs. We discussed. <laughs> This, oh, this, that's right. this was yeah, a raunchy episode of Ahsoka right there. I, they were waving them sex organs around. I, I literally turned to my wife and said, look at those side fins flapping around sluts but i but i mean that like in a you know what i mean I'm oh that's hot yeah so look here's the thing i until disney proves me wrong on multiple occasions i need it in written form i need it particularly in a comic and i need it in visual form to prove me wrong until they do that when they were doing that whatever that's super exciting hyperspace is Grogu saw them. That's who Grogu was looking at in season three of Mandalorian. I, I need it disproven in three media before it's not canon for me anymore. Timeline could work. Thank you. Um, because he because he force connected with Ahsoka. That's wow. All right. So anyway, um, she says she. So we cut cut to uh, Ahsoka talking to our guy Hu Yang and says. Hu Yang says intergalactic travel with a star wheel. Now I really have done it all. So, so Hu Yang has a little like um, sarcasm and like <laughs> biting sense of it, humor written into his code. He's interesting. It, it, it's a part of the Star Wars lore that droids develop more complex personalities the longer they've gone since they've been mind wiped. And it seems like Hu Yang maybe never has been fully mind wiped. Never so, mind wiped in a thousand years you know, or whatever. He, he um, would develop a complex, multi-layered, exceptionally sarcastic persona during that time. I just want to say these facts you're sharing are really leaning into my whole uh, droids are kind of sentient little beings, and we are an entire galaxy of slavers. Yes. Yes, we are. No, yeah. no. They, don't, they don't make much of an effort to hide that. No. Listen, no, I support Thrawn, so I don't care. Uh, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on Thrawn's side. <laughs> Lee just pushed his button of, I don't care. We're moving on. <laughs> we, we all get that button. That's how the show works. Yep. You, and you have the, that's not in the show button. Uh, I have the, I support Thrawn button. So let's move on from a moral perspective. All right. So <laughs> mine says too many personal questions. <laughs> yes. He, he hits that one with me four times an episode over on the silo podcast. Um, so then we get hit uh, an explanation from Hu Yang about what he used to read to the young Jedi at the Jedi temple histories of the galaxies, part one, two and three with one being the best, of course. I mean, Filoni's just putting it out there for us, right? Like that's Filoni's showing his own personal biases right there, one must say. So is, is he talking about episode one or a new hope? I thought he was talking about the three trilogies. The original yeah, the trilogies. And when you but heard that, that too. No, that no, the original trilogy would have to be number two. He's saying no, he, the prequels best. I think he yes, thinks the prequels are the best. He's saying he likes the prequels best. He's oh. actually said that before. With one oh, being the best, of course. Has, he just has bad opinions. Yes, he does. He's just, uh, he's just a questionably bad person. Oh, uh, a not a bad person. Uh, I might be. I support Thrawn. But two, <laughs> uh, I was I was going to debut this uh, on the podcast before, but I'm just going to drop it in now. I, I I think this is a, as good a time as any. I'd like to publicly proclaim my support for 
Dave Filoni as heir to George Lucas. In the same way that I support Thrawn as heir to Palpatine, I'd like to say that I support Dave Filoni as the next George Lucas. I want him, I want Kathleen Kennedy out. I want John Favreau working for him. And I want Filoni running this whole fucking operation. We have it on the record, folks. I'm not convinced yet. This that, is his... That's a flag in the sand, sure. <laughs> but the, look, the fact that you just compared uh, George Lucas to the Emperor, we can have that conversation. But now you're comparing this guy to Thrawn in a good – like, what part of this do you think is good? <laughs> and, and, and I, I feel like our friendship hinges on the answers here, so let's not actually answer them. I've been, on a strange, I've been on a strange run lately. I've been watching The Sopranos. Of course, I root for Tony Soprano. Over on the Wheel of Time podcast, I've, I've decided I'm a dark friend. I like the dark friends better than the, the light and the Aes Sedai. And then I, I now, in this, this podcast, I'm liking Thrawn the most, and I, I think I've given Jamie an answer. a heel. You're way too deep into wrestling lore. <laughs> that is clearly no, what's going on. That is clearly you're, true. You're, you're, you're bad. You don't have to pretend you're bad. Come on. Uh, you. I don't know. So I, these are the characters I like. Uh, so he says, um, Soka then tells Hu Yang that Sabine went willingly. And you can tell this is weighing okay. on so- Ahsoka. Which I will say that I was very happy to see that, given the comments I made in the last episode of how they did not address that seemingly yeah. very key aspect of that memory that she was tapping into. Yeah, oh, I like that. She was keeping that secret from other people, and that's just on him. That exactly, but well, she was really upset about it. Yeah, which you can what? tell. She's she lands on the word troubling. She says it could have ended. No thrawn, no war. And Hu Yang always sort of playing devil's advocate, uh, not unlike my two podcast hosts from time to time, hmm. uh, says and no Ezra. Uh, Ahsoka listens. So she, he says she was fated to make that choice. There wasn't enough time to prepare her to make the right one. So this is this is very in character for Ahsoka. Like she's on she's on a she's first step on a ladder that leads to blaming herself for this. Right. Because she's already like, well, I have she didn't have enough time, so I didn't train her. Everything for Ahsoka tends to come back to like, what was my part in it? And um then Hu Yang says, the force provides you with insight, but it does not give one all the answers. Kind of checking her ego a little bit, reminding her, like, you you can't fix everything. Um, perhaps for Sabine, it was the only choice. And she says, the choice she made herself, that is your fear. Soka's had enough. Now she's ready to hear one of the stories a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. He starts. So 40 years later, we finally got it name dropped. And it was it surprisingly did not come across as hammy or forced to me. I enjoyed no, it. No, like it was kind of cheesy, but I kind of like cheese. So it was, I was, it, 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 I smiled I really broad when they did it. And then I think I laughed at myself and rolled my eyes, but I smiled really wide first. It was the appropriate Star Wars kind of cheese. Star Wars has always been a little bit cheesy because that's what it's yeah. drawing from. It's the Flash Gordon side of science fiction. But that fits and it, it was executed well. I thought it was great. I mean, I, I rolled my eyes a little bit more with History of the Galaxies Part 1, 2, and 3 with 1 being the best. Of course, I felt like that was a little more meta. and uh, over, that, was in, that was indulgent. A little, yeah, indul- that's a great word for it. That was indulgent. Yeah, I agree. So, um, can, you, you know when you were saying something shows that Mando's just not very smart or something? Yeah. I feel like this entire exchange just shows Ahsoka's a dumbass. The things she's okay. saying here in this Whoa. whole conversation don't make any sense. Oh, she... She made this choice on her own. Dot, dot, dot. She was fated to make this choice. Dot, dot, dot. It was my fault she didn't make this choice. Like, those are all three opposites. And one of them says, nobody made this choice. The Force made this choice. You think she was fated to do it? Like, then it was nobody's choice. 
What the I'd, hell are you talking about? I'd like to stick up for Ahsoka here. I, as, as Spencer, it. as Spencer well knows, um, I often, um, decision make through talking out loud. Like I process yes. by just talking it out and I will sometimes, I'll start on something and I'll go to a different and I kind of argue with myself as I'm going. And okay. I feel like this is Ahsoka processing the, the, the situation and trying to understand it. I actually, oh, this is. We're here see, for you, man. I, I, all four of our listeners think we do this for them. We do this because I want you to tell me why things are good and I get to do the same thing for you. So I get to feel better about these episodes afterwards. I think you're right. That makes perfect sense. And I've done the same thing. Where I'm not always saying out loud, hey, I'm going to devil's advocate myself now, but I'm actually not saying things I think are consistent. I'm saying counters to myself yep. to try to figure out what the truth is. So she's saying, what was this her being selfish? Was this my fault? Was this supposed to happen? Yep. Okay, well, she still is a dumbass for letting Thrawn escape to maybe save one guy who... Yeah, of course he was alive because of plot device, but she had no reason to expect that. Well, that, that, that's Sabine. Yeah, it it really is. And, and, you know, increasingly the Sabine character that we're seeing here is, like, very different than the Sabine character in Rebels. Um, I wanted she, to ask you about that. Yeah, she was um, – first of all, she's more of a side character in Rebels, right? You didn't get a lot of, like, just focus on Sabine time because so much of it was about Ezra and Kanan and – the uh, and Hera and some of the other characters, right? Um, but she was she's presented as a as like a Mandalorian, like a true Mandalorian, and in the Re- in Rebels, yes, she was young, and yes, she was artistic or whatever. But like she always like when she went to battle, armor up. She was a great fighter. She could always be depended upon. Like she almost like how like di- like in the in Boba Fett when they had like the Boba Fett Avengers and like. Jinjarin would show up and would just sort of like be a Mandalorian, just knock his shit out, just do it well. That was kind of her and this like whiny sort of self-indulgent Sabine. Um, it's not matching for me perfectly. Now I'll say that with one caveat is that she did make selfish choices in Rebels. So that part is consistent, but some of her dialogue isn't checking for me like this. She sounds like whiny teenager, and first of all, she shouldn't be a teenager because in Rebels she was she's already like, in her twenties. She's like thirty she, now, right? She should be in her thirties. Yeah, she's older than Ezra, which they do kind of portray that maybe, but it, it just the dialogue's not consistent. That's, I guess, maybe my main point. It, it, there were several moments in this episode where I was looking at this character, the decisions she makes, how she's being portrayed, and I was going to ask you: Is like, do we like her in Rebels? Because they're not giving me that much to like here. Yeah, you is like it, her in Rebels. You do. Yeah, I mean, you. You you can get fr- there's a couple decisions she makes you get frustrated with but for the most part she's like fight breaks out everybody's getting their ass kicked in comes Sabine to help like <laughs> that was kind of her role like she wasn't she certainly wasn't a main character so I mean if if I'm trying if we're if we're gonna go on all your thoughts on how this compares to Lord of the Rings I feel like I feel like she's Gollum can, can, can you say she's Gollum. Uh, and, and Ezra is her ring. I don't know, but she she makes My terrible gracious. selfish decisions, and yet somehow is going to be important for the world being saved. But it's really not because she's awesome, and probably not because she has like a heel turn into a wonderful person. Just you know, the universe wanted to use her for good for some reason. I like yeah. Gollum so much more than Sabine. Well, 
Yeah. I, I felt like that was a given. I felt that I felt like that was assumed. I was trying to say her moral stance was Gollum. We already know she's just an unlikable, annoying. I I don't know. She's she she's charismatic and kind of fun to watch. But all of her choices and like half the things she says out loud with her voice, I'm like, how could you think that that's a thing you should say out loud, like in the world where other people can hear you? Yeah, she 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 comes across a lot younger than the character should be or the experiences that she's had or really yes. her stage of her life. It's like this, this is a character that's coming across to me at all of 16, 17 and is still the moody kind of teenage angst and is snapping at people sarcastically because of that. And that's so, that seems to be where she was in Rebels from what you're telling me. That she, was, she, was beyond, in Rebels. she was beyond that in Rebels. Yeah. So. I mean, you're you're now going to make me try to justify choices for the characters because that's what I do. Please. She regressed she, because of guilt, she, because of trauma loss, because of trauma loss, abandonment. She regressed, and so she's okay. more of a. She is. She's at the place that she was whenever before Rebels. She joined the Rebels, so okay. she did regress to when she was a loner, when she was on her own, when life worked fine, and she didn't need anybody, and then she never grew past that. A lot of what's a lot of whether Sabine's plotline is going to work for me is the degree to which there are repercussions. Something I never really forgave the new Star Wars films for, particularly the Last Jedi, was that they were built around main characters doing self-centered, selfish things for their own benefit and screwing over everybody else as a result, or at least just doing things without coordinating and therefore screwing over the rest of the plot. This is a character who's done that even worse. She's willfully bringing back the ultimate villain for the sake of just her own purely selfish interests. Consciously. I I, I know Ezra actually tells her, I never want to speak to you again. And then he successfully never speaks to her again. That's actually what I want. If I get that, I will actually, I'm not sure I'll enjoy it, but it will make me happy. So I, uh, back to Jamie's explanation about her regressing, that works for me. Thank you. That, that, I like that. Uh, I would, I would not be surprised if Ezra gets very upset with her when he figures out how this worked. Now, uh, that being said, I'm not a big Ezra fan. Uh, I will get into that as we get to the character, but like, the Ezra character, take him or leave him for me. I, I I'm not a, a crazy about that character, but I, he always has been, um, for the the greater purpose, right? And it, she he basically sacrificed himself. Yeah, she undermines his sacrifice completely by trying to save him. Like he 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 sacrifices something to accomplish something. That happens. It works. He keeps Thrawn sidelined for the entire war for all of episode four, five, and six because of Ezra. That's that he did that, and she undermines it to save him. It's like he's. Got, I'm, I'm with Jamie. He's got to be a, angry about this. Like. What? It's not going to be consistent if they, if yeah. they don't have to This angry. is not something that, like, you get angry about and make a learning opportunity and, oh, no. Sabine. It's, no, this is actually an unforgivable thing right. that you have put me, at best, yourself, more likely, as more important than millions of innocent strangers. Who are going to die. Also, the whole insult of, you know, undoing my sacrifice and all that, but... Well, I, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure Thorne's going to kill innocent people. Okay, I'm not convinced of that yet. But, um, dude, uh, I know but you got rose tinted glasses. But it does though. undermine. It does undermine uh, Ezra's sacrifice for sure. Um, all right, so Sabine's a prisoner on the ship, which seems kind of bullshit to me. Seems bullshit to her. She complains about the situation to Balin. Says uh, he says, "I think this was not be an opportunity for reflection." She says, "I don't like to do that." He says, "I can understand why." I think when she said, "I don't like to do that," we all collectively were like, "Yeah, no shit." It's clear you don't reflect on much. She yells at him. 
that they had a deal. He leaves, walks away. Cut to Balin walking into the front of the ship with Shin and Morgan. The prisoner is impatient. Morgan asks if he's still meant to follow through on her promise to her. He says that her concern for Ezra blinds her, um, but she could still be some use of she could still be of some use to us. They come out of hyperspace to Peridia. This is the planet. She says it's the original home of the Dathmiri. Um, that's great to know. A lot of deep lore theories have been confirmed there. Uh, I'm not super deep into the, the Dathmiri, but my understanding is that this was guessed by a lot of people that Peridia was their origin home planet. And Balin says they used to learn about it. It's a place where hyperspace whales came to die. Peridia is a graveyard. And I think like just to get the um, the full weight of what Morgan Elsbeth is saying is that the Dathmiri witches came from Peridia. They came from a different galaxy. They rode the space whales, somehow figured out a way to ride the space whales to our galaxy. And that would that kind of fits, right? Because like they touch the force and they interact and talk about the force in a way that's not really consistent with our galaxy. So I don't know. Kind of makes sense. The death Mary were from a different galaxy originally to me. It, I, I I, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, I'll go first. It, it, it's an example of Disney completely changing the legends lore from what I understood about the death Mary witches. I mean, it's even to the degree that they rode Rancor there and now they ride space whales. So di- difference with respect to that. Correct. Yes. But from, what is being portrayed so far I've seen in the Disney lore, I think it works quite well, that they are very much the other. They come across as some weird combination, particularly in this episode where we see they're called, what, the Night Sisters or something? Yeah, the Mothers. Night Sisters. Night Sisters. Well, there, there is the Mother, but they are the Night Sisters, yeah. Uh, they, they come across like some weird combination, combination of the Red Wizards of Fae and the Bene Gesserit. They are that just utterly foreign to something we've seen in the Star Wars universe previously. Ooh, in a way I goodness. like, they very much come across as alien. Uh, in a way that fits well for how they're being portrayed and how uncomfortable people are around them. Jimmy. Two questions. One, I thought you said that Yoda and them were tight, and now they're like, oh, you smell like a Jedi. We're going to murder you. What's up? Uh, the I think that – Ron was a dick and poisoned them, or – Well, no. I mean, you have to – so in, the, in, in this canon – the Dathmiri were the, – the, so they were murdered by Palpatine. And they Disney were Disney elections canon are completely different on this point. So that's one it's one explanation right there. But, but in in Disney, I'm just talking Disney canon. The Jedi did have a good relationship with the Death Mary. They did in the and, past. And when Thra- when the Emperor took over, he had kind of a shaky, rocky one, and then he made the call, which was actually we actually saw this, I believe, in Rebels, um, season like three, I think. He made the call to kill all the Death Mary witches, which he did. My theory is that all of these caskets that Thrawn is putting into his ship are the dead witches. Um, that's my guess. Uh, I, I think that they're going to yeah, somehow, maybe. somehow bring these back to get, bring these back to life. But Their I don't think. Their made them out of chlorine so that they get to snort to get extra power. Stop, stop, stop. You've done enough. I don't think that the Dathmiri witches, um, draw a very big distinction between Sith and Jedi. And so when Palpatine killed them all, I think that soured them on all Force users in that galaxy, is my guess. Okay. Plausible. Second thing I just want to say I loved. When they were going in and they said, oh, this is a whale graveyard, and there was just whale bones floating for a moment, mm-hmm. I was like, that's okay, fine. Kind of weird. There's like one that happened to decay into bones right there. They pan out slightly. Whoa. Oh, my goodness. The entire planet's ring system is just bones. Yeah, elephant graveyard to an nth degree. 
it, the, the, so many bones. Like, rings are so big. I loved I, I it. Like, I, I love. I, I my eyes actually went wide, and I just thought like in silence for like ten seconds. Loved it. I love the visual too. If the rings look exactly like the ring hyperspace gate they used to get here too, the ring bones in terms of going through those look almost exactly identical to the uh, hyperspace gate they're now traveling through. Are you just saying that circles look like circles? It, it, not even circles, but where the you know, like ver- <laughs> vertebrae were in, ter- in terms of around it, which were quite similar too to this place. Jamie, Jamie's sleep deprived. He's punchy today. <laughs> I don't know how to deal with this. Hey, well, Spencer. Yeah. Question this for you. This one has curves on the outside, and that one has curves on the inside. They're very they have the exact same location for where the for, for where the uh, hyperspace drives are, even on the ring too. Spencer also liked that the 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 elves had rings, and the one ring was actually a ring itself too. He liked that consistency. See, that they, were, they, they all they it were rhymes. both rings. <laughs> they had hey, the Spencer, rings are true to them. Yes, they ring true. Sorry, mm. the Hobbit cartoon is the best Lord of the Rings adaptation. I'm doing, a, I'm doing a test for Spencer. Spencer, uh, when were in Legends? When were the Dathmir the Dathmiri witches first introduced? Do you remember the book? I do not remember the name of the book. No. Courtship, Princess, Courtship of Princess Leia. Yeah, I should have remembered that now. That came yeah, up knew, the other day. I knew you would. Yeah. I, so uh, it, it, it's interesting too. Just a, another example of a Legends to uh, canon change. Thrawn kind of like hated force users of all varieties and all types in the Legends canon. He specifically built various aspects of how he was going about his battles and campaigns around having specific plans to deal with and nullify and prevent force users from even being near him. Now he's closely consulting with the Witches of Dathomir, who are a different kind of force user, but it's still a substantial change. I don't think Legends Thrawn would have been comfortable being near them. I have just just a justification. As somebody who doesn't know anything, and I'm going to make some crap up. Are you Do ready? Are yep, you ready always. For, for the Jimmy Cannon. Mm. All right. Jimmy Cannon over here. Uh, that's actually just showing that Thrawn is a pragmatist and good at what he fucking does. If 100%. he found himself on a planet of nothing but cannibals, he'd say, Mmm, yum. Okay, well, follow me and do your thing over there, but I need you to do shit for me now, so I guess we're friends. Yeah, I fully believe that this Thrawn has, like, 85 different separate plans to kill these people, if necessary, in the future. So, yeah, I've got no issue with making the alliance. It is just a noticeable difference to see what desperation, what strange bedfellows desperation makes. Yeah, and in the Disney canon, he, he he's not a big fan of Force users. He um, he does buddy up with the Emperor. Palpatine likes him as much as Palpatine likes anybody. Mm-hmm. It does seem there's... A multiple references to the idea that he is plotting to overthrow Palpatine before he uh, Ezra exiles him, um, but he does not like Darth Vader or Anakin, and he also, on his own, independently in the Disney canon, susses out that Darth Vader is Anakin. One of the few people to do that. But I think that's partly because he studied the the Jedi Order upon mm-hmm. joining the Imperial military, and we see evidence of that in his conversation with Balin later. So, um, cut to Balin walking in the front of the ship. Um, oh no, this is we already did that. They make their descent. Cut to Sabine, who is listening, and the, uh, go ahead. Well, I, just from the sake of their descent, I love how corporate their shuttle is. This is not a military-made vehicle. This is using corporate assets that Morgan Elspeth has to make this thing. And so that real gold, gaudy little spaceship that breaks off is so delightfully different in style from what we usually see in Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, there's no empire to, to go to, right? So she's yeah, she's having to cut, cut funds on her own. Um, 
Although they, although I do think they alluded to in the show that they were getting the hyperdrives from the New Republic, but I think mm-hmm. it was commercially built other than that. Um, Sabine is listening and the door to her cell opens. In comes Shin and we see a transport ship take off. It's got a droid. Shin, Sabine, Balin, Morgan. Uh, mm-hmm. then they fly in and damn if it doesn't, uh, we're, we're hitting Lord of the Rings hard. It looks a little Minas Tirith here, doesn't it? It looks kind of that or that, that or Numenor. It's like very, uh, Tolkien inspired. Very Tolkien inspired and very fallen civilization esque. We're getting from what this planet as we, as we tore through these skies of it. They land, and when they land, we see a similar rock stone structure that we saw on the previous planet. They were on on the Denab system. Morgan comes up to the three Dathmeri sisters, um, the great great mother. So there's there's a leader of one, the great mother, um, and I believe the great mother is the actual real mother of Darth Maul. Um, that's what they established the Disney canon. Um, he, he looked different. Yeah, but he, he, he's from, so he is from the other galaxy, Darth Maul, and he was born of a Dathmiri witch. He, he looked different because he was only a half brother. Oh, the great, the great, really good, really good, really good. Uh, the great mother sells Morgan, um, you do your ancestors credit. They confirm that the witch is called to Morgan. I, Shin, still my favorite character, leans over to Sabine of all people, it seems like. I don't even think she's talking to fucking Balin here. And it's like, they're witches. <laughs> so, she's talking to Balin. Yes. No way. I, I'm believing that she's talking to, to Sabine here. Um, there, she cuts we, Sabine multiple looks this episode. I think that they're becoming fast friends. Do we know the three? We, uh, uh, were these three Night Sisters in, in um, Rebels? I, I don't. I don't know for sure. So she calls her the Great Mother. There is a Great Mother Night Sister in Rebels, and that is established as Darth Maul's real mother. Um, also, the person who um, gives Darth Maul his brain, like basically his cognition back after losing his mind, after being cut in half and spending like years in a trash compactor or whatever. So I don't know if this is the same great mother or not. So or if that's like, that, that might, so it's either it's either the same great mother. Sorry to cut you off, but it, it yeah. could be the same great mother or that could be some sort of ceremonial position. I don't know. It, my practical question was, are these three native to this planet and Thrun just found them there or did, were they on Thrun's ship and they were equally exiled? That, they I, were not yeah. on Thrun's ship. Cause, uh, Cause I was just wondering how they got here. It's the implication I got in the episode is that they're natives in some way to this world, given that this was a night, which world, whatever else in the past. Um, but it wasn't entirely clear. I don't know that answer, but I, I know they weren't on a ship. I mean, yes, that that's the implication. I don't think there's any other way around it. If they showed up later, then that means that that there's group a... knew how to get there on the whales or something, so they wouldn't have had to go through all the rigmarole. So it couldn't have been that they showed up later and knew how to get there. They had to have just already been there. Mm-hmm. And if they were already there, that the indication is that maybe they'd never been to our galaxy. And if that's the case, then it is not the same people we saw in Rebels. Wanted to make sure. Um, all right. Uh, but again, I'd, I'd still like to point out my theory here that Shin and Sabine are becoming fast friends. I think that no. we see an alliance here. That's no, I, you no. are say, you are just trying to like prod bears at every turn. You're just saying stuff to like see how many words can be said. 
she was talking to Balin. She's, she's been whispering this. That the of course she's Balin. Every, every, she, it's like the last eight times she whispered, "This is witch stuff." <clears throat> Their witches has all been aside to Balin. It's, okay, yeah. you guys don't live on Star Wars online like I do. Um, that uh, yeah, she's Are talking you trying to, to ship the two of them, man? Come yes, on. he is. Yes, look at this shipping, that's, shipping that's, guy right here. That, so <laughs> yes, of course she's talking about. I was making a joke because there's been a lot of conversation about Shin and Sabine. Um, Maybe being romantic. Oh, um, two, two attra- pairing two attractive female characters in a show together? Man, that's never happened in the shipping world before. We'll see. Where is uh, Thrawn? Well, uh, Where is Thrawn? You should wait. He's coming. And, he, oh, and then, yeah. So I was going to say, you, you had said before how you didn't like, one of you, uh, that Thrawn could talk to the witch through time and space in her dreams and reach out or whatever. We have an explanation. No, that was me. The I'll acknowledge that. He wasn't. He the witches were. Like he, he was telling them, hey, talk to your people. So he, yep. the same way that you're not hearing my voice, you're hearing a telephone. Yeah. I can't talk to you from Newark and have you hear me in Florida, but my phone can because my phone's got magic in it. Yeah, they each are holding one half of one half of a walkie-talkie set. They can just communicate with each other by, and Thrawn was yelling at one in the background what he wanted them to say. Yep, pretty much. Yeah. So the one of the Death Mary sisters says it reeks of Jedi. They uncover three small floating balls that were in their hands that go to Sabine. Yeah. I love the balls. Snip that. Jimmy loves the balls. I love the balls. There it is. Isolate it. Uh, put it on social. And then um so fl- what you know what? We'll put it on social when we're we're engaging in the conversations about Sabine and uh and and ha- Shin hashtag, being together. Hashtag three balls, just the right number of balls. Sabine, Sabine, and Shin. All right, heart, heart. I, I, I did enjoy there that when they say that whole reeks of Jedi thing, Sabine looks confused for a second and then looks straight at Balon, who kind of gives her a shrug, like I don't think they're talking about me. I think yeah, they don't know. You. Yeah, I think all three of them. I think Shin, uh, Balon, and Sabine are all confused. Um, <laughs> I, and I, I, I love that. I, yeah, I, I, I forgot that. Yeah, that's, and that's, I don't even fun. know. And I don't even know like. I don't know. I feel like you could game out a theory that like maybe they were sensing Balin or Shin, but they, they pinned it on Shin. Sabine. Okay. Why? Shin doesn't reek of Jedi. She's nothing to do with Jedi. She's only Balin. That's at least the hill Balin's willing to die on as he expresses in this episode. Anyway, they put this little uh, chain around her with the three balls and they hold her there and says it will wait in solitude and Sabine leaves stage left. She's yelling about the deal. Where is Ezra? Where is he? We see the I'm just baffled by this. Sabine really thinks that they're going to follow through on the deal and that Ezra's alive. She's, like, actually convinced. It's like, even if you were holding out hope, would you really be this, like, you know, dead sure the other, the other the collection of evil villains you've clustered with are actually going to fulfill their deal? They kind of do, but why does she think they will? For the same reason that she thinks he's alive in the first place, because she wants it to be true. And she's the main character in her own mind. Yes. Pretty much. I mean, yeah, I, that is, okay. I, is the actual I, literal explanation. That, yeah, well, I don't know whether that's technically correct, the best kind of correct. I don't know what else I can tell you. No, you're you're right. I'm just commenting reason. on it. It's a crappy reason. She she has no, like, articulably intelligent reason. Wait. She's kind of just a dumbass. She, she is... Hmm. I'm trying to think of how I can put this. Wait, what, what, okay, what, what's, what's the name of the general? What's her name with the two tails? 
Oh, uh, Hera. So is she the Hera of this episode? Is that how I can put that? Yeah, for, yes, in terms it's we've defined previously, yes. It, okay, good. So it, she's it, Hera-ing it up left and right is, is it, I think, how I can describe this. It, it, it's all kind of forgiven, though, because they all acknowledge it in-universe in the scene she has with Thrawn here in a minute, which is a great scene. It's like, the the world is aware that this is a character flaw. The world is aware that what she's doing doesn't make sense because characters are calling out, calling her out on it. Uh, yeah. Alright, well, let's jump back in the recap here. So, we take Sabine to a holding cell. We see a wild shot of a castle and some animals down below. The shuttle takes off. We see Balin and Shin left behind. Shin comes up to Balin. What is it, Master? This is the land of dreams and madness. Children's stories Love come to life. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is like me watching, like, Fucking 24 hour news right now. It's like, this is the land of dreams and madness. <laughs> this can't be real. Uh, she says she knows no such stories. He says, you weren't raised in the temple, but says stories about this galaxy are folk tales long forgotten. And she says with good reason, sometimes stories are just stories. So she's like, he, he seems to think there's like this something going on here, something very important going on here and something that is for them. And she is, uh, Questioning this at best, skeptical probably is more realistic, right? She's very, very skeptical about it. I, um, I do like when you have a character that I actually like or trust or at least think is competent, but they kind of show them noticing or realizing or acknowledging times when they were stupid. When he's like, this is a big deal. And she's like, oh, I was never told that. And he's like, yeah, you weren't raised by the Jedi. I was like, yeah, who was I raised by who didn't tell me these important things? What? Motherfucker. I, I, it's one of the things I adored about the scene is that he, this is very clearly just how they're interacting with each other. It's good acting on the part of the actors. He doesn't talk with her about this or about the past. He doesn't open up about this stuff. And as he's starting to, she clearly gets excited and starts prodding very carefully to find out more. Yeah, I mm-hmm. loved it. Just, yeah. just the gentlest of, I mean, you could have told me this stuff if you think it's so important. So, you mm-hmm. know. I, I, oh, I, I, yeah, we should probably blame Thrawn on that one. I bet it was his fault you didn't tell me this crap. Mm-hmm, definitely. He says, when I was a bit older than you are now, I watched everything I knew burn. I think, I think they're making a real point to show us that, like, the fall of the Jedi was a really seminal, tragic, uh, traumatic event for Balin, and everything after that, uh, is influenced by it, right? He says, I couldn't sense it, at the, I couldn't make sense of it at the time. As you get older, you look at history, you realize it's all inevitable. The fall of the Jedi, rise of the Empire, it repeats again and again and again. And it's our turn now, she asks. Won't our alliance with Thrawn finally bring us into power? He says, that sort of power is fleeting. What I seek is the beginning. So I may finally bring this cycle to an end. Um, hard hard not to make the Wheel of Time reference there when he's talking. It. She's like, he's basically talking about the ages repeating themselves. Like, four, five, and six repeats itself with seven, eight, nine, and on and on and on we go. Uh, he kind of has a point. It, it's a really well done scene in my mind because they've been very effectively teasing what, who Balon is, what kind of character he is, not just like a character archetype, but it's just his individual character and what his motivations and ultimate goals are. We don't yet know those that we're slowly learning more as time goes on. And it's been a fascinating trail to walk. I mean, I said it before a few episodes ago, particularly in episodes one and two, but it's held true the entire time. These two characters are the most interesting characters on the show. For sure. Seeing what the motivations are, the journey that they're going on, I mean, particularly among newest new characters in this show, but also just in general, the world so, they're walking and where they're going to go, I'm in, I'm very much fascinated by it and want to find out more. So every scene like this, 
we see more about his trauma, more about his desire to break free of what he feels is just a, a an unassailable cycle that they're all stuck within. The the issues of where we're still not fully certain of how far down the way to a dark Jedi he even is. I am engrossed and, content, and continually fascinated. That's just a, a mark of well-done writing with respect to these two characters. And just the acting, too, for the little mannerisms they share. So there, there's two, you know, beyond being optimistic and making explanations that aren't in the text to try to justify things. The other Which thing you do. I pull in, like, the most niche um, other cultural touchstones to try to make sense of this. So I don't know if this is going to make sense to anybody. There's two things here that I'm really getting out of these two. And, and I loved it. And I'm putting my, my flag in the sand on what I think the characters are like. And I think I figured out what Balin wants. Mm-hmm. So mm. Shin, I'm going to start with, this was best put in a, it was a webcomic called Order of the Stick. And there's a character who is evil. And hey, said, hey, I love that webcomic. Oh, great. Okay. Uh, the, the Elon's father, who turns out to be the evil warlord, he's like, you know how these stories go. You're a bard. The evil empire always falls to the plucky heroes. He's like, yes. He's like, so why why are you doing this? Like, because the evil empire always rises and rules for a thousand years first. I get mine now. Yeah. Somebody else can have a turn later. Our turn. Yeah. She says, it's our turn. Like, we're lucky. We get to ride the upswing and we get to be the first of the 500 years of dark of us being in power. Yay us. Let's right. let's enjoy being the winner this uh, you know, era. So I like I, I thought I thought that was I mean very pragmatic made a lot of sense and uh, very selfish but that's kind of what evil appropriately so. Um, the other side is him and you know this is not too obscure wheel of time. Uh, Balin is Ishmael. He wants to kill the great serpent. He wants to break the wheel of time. Yep. I that's what I'm digging. I he he is going to try to nullify the existence of the universe. I could have gone with Scion Minmax from a different webcomic if I want to get real obscure, but we'll go with Ishmael. He he wants to kill the Great Serpent. He wants to break the Wheel of Time, and that's what his goal is. I'm playing the flag in the sand because I think it's being telegraphed real hard. Yeah, and I think that like they showed us the world between worlds for a reason earlier, and it wasn't just to introduce Anakin. They could have done that in a dream sequence. Like I think that we got world between worlds because Balin's plan is going to involve some level of changing the universe, changing time, changing things that happen, like to stop the wheel. Like he's not talking about like, let's amass an army and just like wipe everybody out. Like he knows that's fleeting. He's trying to do something different. So I wouldn't be surprised if this all goes back to the, the world between worlds. And that's, that's how they, they end up dealing with that plot element. It is fascinating how it already makes other things that were a little bit, tone deaf make more sense when he's talking about power beyond your imagination does not mean we're going to be Thrawn's number ones. He didn't no. pretend like that. It's Mm-mm. no, we're going to actually be the one to like flip the switch and turn off the lights on the universe. And he's talking about, he said, you're there to find your friend. I'm there for a greater good. And I thought, you really think Thrawn is the greater good? And his answer is no. He does not. That, no. I, that, that is not my greater good at all. I wonder if he thinks he's an asshole. It's one thing I like, too, is that it sets up how many different factions we have in this show so far that are overlapping, but not all having the same objectives. Like, Balon and Shin are working with Thrawn's team, and Thrawn's team seems to just think that they're mercenaries who are just getting paid, which seems to be a fundamental misunderstanding of what they're actually looking to accomplish here. 
Same thing. Sabine is technically, I say giantly technically, with the good guys, but she has her own complete objectives that are in many ways directly working with the bad guys to accomplish them, even though she is team good guy. We're seeing a lot of people. hmm? Oh, I was going to say, I like that because I kept trying to figure, we even made a joke about, you know, this doesn't seem like mercenary. He's getting paid, but he really wants this other stuff. Well, it's because he's, he's telling them he's a mercenary. He's putting himself out as that that's what he cares about to hide his real objective. Well, I'll say this. When Thrawn hears that that's General Balin's skull and he knows he's a Jedi. He, he lasers in. He lasers in. He uh, he doesn't take anything at surface level on him anymore. Like every, everything that they say about him, he's like, uh, maybe, maybe not. Like he's a Jedi, shifty. I in no way suspect that Thrawn has categorized him as just a mercenary at this point. I, I, I more meant Morgan and everybody leading up to Thrawn. Thrawn Morgan, is his complete yes. own world with respect to that. Because Morgan just presents them as just mercenaries to Thrawn, and Thrawn's already like, well, yeah, that's yeah. – my respect for you just lowered if that's all you think these people are. I do think that. Yeah, I think that the, if you were getting the internals from, from Thrawn, he probably would have thought, ooh, that's a misstep on Elspeth's part. A, a lot of what we're seeing so far in the show, and it's a continually recurrent theme, is what to what degree your own individual loyalties r- interact with your broader faction loyalties. And we're seeing that at play with several different characters in several different ways, in a way that I'm starting to get more fond of over time as I better understand what the show is doing with that. Because we're seeing, we're seeing how much those can grate on each other, much how much those don't individually work, and how people try to swim around through them. Well, even Ahsoka, who is very well sure. aligned with good and the Empire well, and, and the, the Republic. Um, you know, she didn't say that her Padawan had gone willingly to everybody else. She hid that for a whole episode because she doesn't trust them to react the way she wants them to to that information. I'm sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so Sabine is muttering to herself. She tries to use the Force, and we got this is the second time we've seen a scene like this where she's trying trying to use the Force. And she starts to think it's happening, but it, it is not. It's a rumbling behind her. And we see, uh, is that Thrawn's music? Yes, it is, ladies and gentlemen. That is the Chimera. That is Thrawn's ship. He has arrived. And it is a he, big one. Yeah, it, when he arrives, he's a proper he, Star Destroyer. And we know a couple. We know, first off, there's markings on the underside that, that mark it as the Chimera, so we know it's Thrawn's ship. And also, in the battle uh, with the Rebels, where Ezra got the Purgles to take the Chimera and Thrawn and his whole gang fucking off to somewhere, uh, the Chimera sustained a lot of damage, and it looks like they affixed it with like gold-plated fixtures on the side of it, which obviously I think uh, is Dave Filoni's love of this thing that I only heard through Dave Filoni, but it's apparently the Japanese art of breaking Japanese something. And, yeah, breaking something and rebuilding it with gold to make it stronger. He yeah. loves this thing and talks about it a lot. I think that's what they, they're referencing here with the Chimera. Yeah. I mean, Dave Filoni... Dave Filoni is a weeb, just straight up. He is. He loves various aspects of Japanese culture, and he loves to incorporate them into the works. And we see it both with respect to the Star Destroyer in a way that I also visually love with respect to every individual stormtrooper here, here in a second, too, threaded into their own individual armor with broken pieces replaced in the way, which adds such wonderful character and wonderful lore associated with the world these guys have occupied in their exile over years past. It's well done. You have to remember, it's just sort of the, the sort of people who might not have a full great grasp of the timeline, which I can't blame you. Uh, they've been there for about 10 years. Like, that's why they look a little worn. That's why they look a little beat down, right? They've been there 10 years during the events of Episode 4, 5, and 6. So, 
two, two things, and this is all about the style there, because clearly Thrawn understands um, appearance matters and perception of power and everything like that. He, he clearly gets that. With the Stormtroopers, I'm not sure how I feel about their individualized armor, including the one that has, like, a, a Greco-Romanish face on it or something. The gold last year? Yeah, I, I can't decide how I, like, how I feel about that. I can't decide whether this is just repairs or whether it's intentionally, like, aesthetic. Some of them look like paint more than it looks like repairs. Um, and part of the whole thing about Stormtroopers is them being indistinguishable. I mean, a lot of armies want that. So giving these people more distinguishing features between them seems counter to the entire Stormtrooper thing. Do you have a good take on that? Because I, I liked it, and I liked the idea of doing repairs and doing them in a way that you can be proud of, but it's very anti-Stormtrooper. I, I would fundamentally agree. One thing to, to put a, put away, Kintsugi was the name I was looking for in terms of the Japanese style of using inlay to connect Kintsugi, together broken yeah. pieces. That's, um, that's clearly what they're going for for this visual theme with this, particularly the gold kind of inlay effect that's wrap, wrapping through. What the hell? It, uh, what? I said that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, didn't hear, I, didn't hear you, I didn't hear you say it. He, he knows the fancy words for your name. I like it better that you thought, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Terry didn't explain it well. <laughs> I, I wanted to use the actual word. Um, but with respect to your point, Jimmy, it, I feel like this is a combination of two things. One, it's also just Thrawn's different style with respect to how he goes about leadership and building other factions. As you said, the Emperor's style was faceless. It was meant to be dehumanizing. It was meant to be vast hordes. It was part of the image of terror that he wanted to represent to the broader world. Thrawn's style is much, uh, can be much more individual and personal with respect to the people under his command. I think it also just reflects, even if we don't think it's just a different mindset for leadership, it also reflects a certain degree of He's had to keep these people going under dire circumstances for 10 years, building in a spirit decor, building an individual pride, building an identity associated with this world that you make of yourself as part of the greater whole can be a key aspect of doing that to keep people willing to fight for a common cause in a way that just being a dehumanizing drone can't endure long term under the limited resources and isolation they've otherwise had to weather. So okay. I, no, I, I, um, I like that. my take's a little different. I think they're all dead. Uh, and I think that the, yeah, I think the Death Mary sisters has, I think they've, uh, this is an entire army of people like we saw with the, uh, fake Inquisitor that uh, I think that either in the battle with Ezra or during the transportation or in the 10 years in the interim, his entire army's dead. And the, uh, witches of Death Mary have raised his army and they're all being run by, uh, magic. I'm going to ask my you guess. a third theory that I don't think is true, but, I think Spencer doesn't like that theory, so I'm going to give him one. Because Spencer, you're you're all like Warhammery, right? Yes, very much so. So what we have here are stormtrooper shells being controlled by the old witch corpses who are ghosts in those coffins. So we are loading up the ghost corpses that are animating the suits of power armor. There, we're we're in Warcraft forty thousand, and I knew something about it. Or Wait, forty thousand, four hundred thousand, forty four hundred four. Warcraft four. 40k. Warcraft uh, 4000. Okay. Uh, I actually interpreted dun, the bodies dun. they're bringing up as being Thrawn's losses. I thought that he was making sure that each of his men that he'd lost over the course of the battle, he would be bringing with them so that they could be resurrected through some means like that by the witches once they get back to the galaxy proper. Could be, but uh, <clears throat> he clearly has made a deal with them. So he's got to be doing something for them, too. That's why I, I thought that maybe those were dead sisters and he was bringing them back for some reason. But I um they got dark magics, but they spell it weird. 
So Balon seems to think they're running and Thrawn's given them means to get the hell out. I want to give Spencer like a lot of credit, though. I think that Spencer's explanation of Thrawn is a really good one, which is that Thrawn does not waste resources. He views each individual who works for him as a person like and he does not waste their life for any reason. He doesn't seem to see the purpose of that. Um, the idea that he would have a army that has individualized armor is not out of bounds for him. It would probably annoy the emperor, but like, I, I don't think it's out of bounds for him. So I, I like that explanation a lot. I just happen to think they're all dead, but I do like the explanation a lot. This is the guy that puts uh, shield generators on his TIE fighters because he couldn't imagine a world where you'd be so wasteful as to lose quality pilots for the sake of ma- mass production in a faceless horde. It, it fits in my mind that he would in, that he would invest the time to make each soldier actually believe in his cause and mark such upon himself. So the the other thing I wanted to point out about the style, which I should have a more firm opinion on, and again I'm gonna I'm gonna tie it into some weird obscure book series. It's not obscure, King Killer Chronicles. Um, Great series, the King. Love there's, those there's two books. Love those two. two of that trilogy, yeah. Love the two. I, um, look, I think there's going to be four books. Unreliable narrator. It's not going to end up being a trilogy. They need four books to finish it. Anyway, mm. there's a king, and the king doesn't dress as opulently as you would think. He dresses fine clothing, but Stately. not gold inlay. And then the main character realizes, after a while, he's never seen the king wear the same outfit twice. In, like ancient castle times where a new outfit would be an unbelievable expense. And the guy like never wears the same clothes twice. Thrawn looks impeccable. He has a dry cleaner. Mm -hmm. He's been there for 10 years on a dirt ball with one ship. All of his, every single stormtrooper looks like they were smashed into a wall and then did like very careful repairs with their world of Warcraft 400 kits. And he looks like he has a, a tailor and a dry cleaner on retainer. And I would I would bet all the money in my bank account versus all the money in your bank account that he hand washes those clothes just because of the little details they throw in the Thrawn books. It, it's it's a wonderful statement of like we talked about what the soldiers needed to do to endure. They've been broken. They've been beaten down. They've had to rebuild their armor individually. They've added character and culture with respect to it as part of their process of coping, of surviving, of building closer connections to those around them. Thrawn's been enduring the same shit, and his uniform looks like it just came freshly starched from the military. Well, there, there actually is one little tear on it, which is very not Thrawn, but it's probably because he can't get replacement. Like, he, he's had, had the same uniform yeah. for 10 years. He's, he's still kept the visual going better than anyone else there. They look all weathered, all the shit, and he looks like he's fresh off the parade ground so, by comparison. So the Chimera comes down over the rock over them, which is such a fucking cool visual. And that, so they're able to, like, walk onto the ship. And then we finally get Thrawn's entrance. They're chanting, Thrawn, 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 Thrawn. And, you know, the I think that it would be a mistake to compare that scene um a hundred percent, right? To think it's a it's a one for one fit with the times that we have seen the Emperor proceed through stormtroopers in much the same way and they have stood there, they've chanted, they've hit you know, whatever. That the the Emperor inspired in a very different way. It's not surprising to me that this group of people, let's let's say they're not dead. Let's throw that theory out. Let's say that they're real people. It's not surprising if they've had ten years on this rock with Thrawn that they would not have developed really really intense loyalty to him. That is something that has like always followed him. If he's got five people working for him or 5,000, 
they always tend to get very, very loyal to him. So that that's like what I was talking in the beginning, like little stuff they threw in to make you think, oh, this is the Thrawn I know. The chanting is actually one of them. Yeah, it's a cool effect and it's a cool entrance for him, right? But it's also like very believable that his army would have developed this affection for him over those 10 years in exile. It's also changed from a musical motif standpoint. His intro music, like his personal theme, it is surprisingly rocking for a Star Wars universe. It sounds like Roman Reigns' entrance. Shout out WWE. He's the big, the big heel in WWE. Um, anyway, I, that's, that was Thrawn's entrance. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And he walks right up to Morgan and crew and Morgan, um, right up to Elsbeth and he says, this line, this first line we get from Thrawn, what was first a dream has become a frightening reality to those that may oppose us. This guy who plays Thrawn is the same guy who did the voice in Rebels for him. So very consistent audio, right? Like I hear his voice. It sounds like Thrawn. In terms of recasting, like this is Lars Mikkelsen, Mikkelsen I pronounce his name, right? Yeah. The, uh, wasn't he also in Rogue One being the guy that designed the Death Star? No, that's his brother, I think. Was it? Yeah, check. Look it up. I think it was I his brother. Check. Not yeah. the same actor, I can tell you. They look different. Yeah, this is brother, and, and this so, guy actually voiced Thrawn. That was Mads. You're right. That was Mads. There were two the, the, damn, damn brother families in acting careers. Um. So, yeah, and he introduces Enoch, who is the apparent captain of his guard. Again, not surprising to me that he would use his um, – he he would actually name one of his – the people working for him. Could you ever imagine Darth Vader being like, hey, let me introduce you to my first hand man, Enoch. Let me give you his first name. That's not that's not going to work. Right. Uh, so, you know, what you going to do? And uh, Morgan, <laughs> uh, this is just Jimmy is starting to abuse the chat or Skype chat. Uh, this is just so Thrawn that they have a prisoner. Uh, Thrawn questions this. He's like, you never spoke of this. So I think J- you guys' explanation of what was going on is exactly right. Thrawn was the, the the witches were communicating. Thrawn was getting this secondhand information. And now he's like, wait a second. In the summary report you gave me of my my rescue, I did not get anything about a prisoner. And they say, well, it was a loose thread, which I thought was really interesting language there that we'll probably hear again, I would guess. I, I, that's just my guess. Anyway, they say the name Sabine Rand and he goes, now there is a familiar name. You're quite right. She'll be of great use to us. And Thrawn walks off. Sabine is escorted to see him. Uh, I'll stop there. Thrawn is a general bearing of being unflappable, of being everything just you know fits into the other an existing plan or just a slight shift of an existing series of plans is all that's required to to adjust this. The fact that he reacts to this and still looks even from his like his mild manner annoyed by it is notable. This is something that he clearly is not is not is not content with that has been a surprise to him. Yeah, and Thrawn like having um very what we would we would compare to like mild or low emotion reactions. He's a chiss and that's apparently like part of their species. So like that's something that he was like kind of like born with and like is in his culture. But he he's like even more so than like his chiss counterparts. It, it's at least in the legends lore. I like that even the chiss were like this guy is uncomfortable. We're not we don't like this guy. He's weird. Yeah. He's a, he's chiss among the chiss. So anyway, he meets with Sabine and. He's what a delight it is to see a familiar face. I understand it is you I have to thank for my escape from exile. She asked about Ezra. He's like, oh, yes, the desire to be reunited with your long lost friend, how that singular focus will reshape our galaxy. So he's he's kind of seeing the whole chessboard here. Wait, is he the everyman like standing in for the audience? Because I did not. Yes. 
Yes, he is. He's there's the a re- one that's there's, calling there's out There's a reason bullshit. on Team Thrawn. There's a reason. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, 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 finish the scene. Let's, let's talk about it. But I love his reaction to her decision-making here. She jumps on him, and he, he tells her no need for hostility. He says that they'll give her equipment and all the information they have about Ezra's whereabouts. He tells her that once his starship departs, they would be stranded there forever. It's also quite possible that your friend is dead. She fires back. If you survived, I'm sure he's just fine. And he says, you've gambled the fate of your galaxy on that belief. He doesn't say it like I said it. Sorry. I said it like a question. He said it like a statement. Uh-huh. He said, you've gambled the fate of your galaxy on that belief. She said, you wouldn't understand, which kind of felt like, yeah, no. Uh, and he goes, perhaps not. What? She says she wants to get going. So they bring her local animal to ride and they let her go. I love the pause, he says, before perhaps not. He actually assesses that comment. It's like, no, you're actually right. I don't get that. I yeah. don't understand <laughs> yep. what you did here today. I Perhaps appreciate not. it, but yeah. I, so, so I, I, I like. Oh, gosh, like he didn't. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why I'm not underwhelmed by Thrawn, because like everything he's saying here is kind of just common sense. Mm-hmm. He's kind of just talking the same smack you and I are talking, but he's doing it with like a Spock face. But, but it works, and I he's like got it. Bearing. He's got bearing. He's got pers- Well, I mean. His presenta- well, part of his presentation. Why. Well, yes, presentation. <laughs> What's there between a villain and a supervillain? Presentation. Um, it, you're right. It is presentation, and there is something really refreshing about someone who can fit into these fantastic, fantastical worlds and still be grounded. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in Lord of the Rings, who is very fantastical and very grounded? Honestly, Gandalf. He's both those all the time. Uh, but who is in this? Balin. Balin is the one who's able to talk to these super uh, flamboyant characters. He's just like, fuck yes, I'm scared of the Jedi. You should probably think of whether you're scared of them, too. I'm going to go kill them, but damn. You respect it, your enemy. Uh, it, it's nice to have somebody who can be normal sometimes in Star Wars. But it's like it's nice to have somebody who is not flashy. I mean, he's he's just, he is visibly competent. He has he's kinda, the orange bear. Dumpy. He's kind of yeah, dumpy. He he's got a gut on him. He's not he's not you know the, the the magnetic hero. He's not the evil cackling wizard villain that was the emperor. He's just a guy that's got a bit of a paunch, is relatively soft spoken, and comes across as eminently aware, competent, and un, understanding of those around in a way that they clearly aren't. Sabine has openly admits she has no perspective on herself, much less on others. Meanwhile, in this moment. Thrawn's able to perfectly read her, but then takes the opportunity to read himself before he continues with the conversation. I don't know, Spencer. You live off like adrenaline and caffeine. Like you're a stick figure, but like <laughs> I, I wouldn't call this. I, I, I did. I mean, I didn't notice this body style is anything different than just a normal, normal 45 year old man. Like this is just normal for somebody that age. I, 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 his the cut of his clothing is intentional, but it does not flatter in the slimming way that we're used to having villains flatter themselves in like sleek sharp attire uh and i think that that's he, he might not have a punch but he might as well kind of with the slightly bulky clothes which i'll note there are a lot of dictators who dress poorly we would say and kind of do it on purpose as part of their style and they power clashing they do it because they can or something um it it, it emphasizes how he can look however he wants but also allows people to underestimate him if they want to. Um, 
I, I think it's very intentional, like everything else about him, but it, so it seems. I might be reading too much into it. So uh, just going back a little bit, uh, so the, the the Japanese art of putting gold things back together is kintsugi. I don't know if you guys know this. But it's, yeah, yeah. I, I've looked it up. Uh, I have the actual word here, kintsugi. I don't know if you know that. Okay, all right, mm-hmm. let me go ahead. Uh, just to make sure we're all on the same page, are we all in agreement with Thrawn here with the shade he's casting in Sabine right now? That, you know, he's all, he, he's, as you said, he's, he's just making a statement, but there's a certain element of, I legitimately don't understand you, that you just willfully, for your own selfishness, sold out the entire galaxy to yes. do this. Yeah, and not even to get your friend. Yeah, I, okay, I'm totally vindicated now. Thrawn is literally saying, you have no reason to think he's alive. Right. And yeah. he says, you don't understand. He's like, yeah. OK, thank you for admitting that I'm right, that you have no reason to think that she's alive. And I can't think as stupid as you. You're right. Yeah, I want to go ahead. Spencer. On a wing and a prayer, you have guaranteed that the galaxy will burn by my will. I will bring the greater good through violence and destruction, blah, 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 throwing motivations. But you just did that without any evidence, certainty, or anything else other than just a desperate desire that your whatever we want to call him to you is out there. Good luck and God bless. I'm glad you did it, but I will never understand you. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of what he says. I'd like us going back and explaining that the Japanese art of putting things back together with gold Kintsugi. and Kintsugi. I'd like that to be this episode's, not our Hera, from last episode. That could be our new our new uh, thing for this episode because Jamie had me crackling last time. That's not our hair. We don't get any hair of this episode. That's, that's one thing I don't. That, well, you um, left left that character behind. I guess maybe that's um, a big big plus here. To be honest, we've dealt with Force Ghosts. I feel like hair is just embodying imp- being embodying inside Sabine. I think I think Sabine's just mash the characters up. <laughs> just yeah, all I the mean, bad, look, all the bad, and she's this episode's Hera. I'll tell you this: when she gets inherited up, when she goes, be a Hera. When Hera she goes out of this world, oh, <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, yeah. So when, I'll tell you this: when she goes out on this little animal and like she encounters the uh, bandits and she fights the bandits, it, it, I don't care, but. She does at least fight a little bit like she did in Rebels, which is a little bit more like a Mandalorian, where she relies on her armor and she's good with a blaster. She does eventually use her lightsaber. I wish they didn't focus so much on that. Um, but anyway, she does. But she, during the course of this, she loses her tracking equipment, gets gets busted up. And I didn't love the whole tracking equipment thing anyway. Like, Ezra should be hard to find. If he was easy to find, I would think that, you know, Thrawn's people would have gone to him, killed him, or at least he would have gotten the to death Mary, which is to go get him. He's got to be difficult to find. Finding Ezra can't be like, let me give you like a fucking, you know, Garmin watch and you'll be able to get to him. That what? doesn't make sense to me. So I, I, I think I can save you on this. It's not going to show you where he is. It's our last known whereabouts something. It's yeah. uh it's a, it is a, it's a map and it's directions of, yeah, over there, north northeast, fifty three degrees is where okay. we saw him last. And so this thing's going to tell you when you get there. And I so just wish that had been direction, and then she had to like eyeball it the rest of the way. Understood. I, and I wished, and I, I, I had that thought too. And I just wish it had been a little bit clearer in what they told her. I wish they'd have said, 
you know, we, we don't, I wish, I wish we, we got we've this not line. seen him in nine years. Uh, yeah. I wish we got that line. We haven't seen him in 10 years, but we generally think he's over there. Yeah. When we, I, so, when we so intended want, to kill him, things, you want more things explained in Star Wars on exactly like what technology was in this thing and how it works and where it was made and. I at, least want them to, I at least want them to acknowledge that they couldn't find Ezra on their own if they wanted to, because I don't think they could. Would you like them to bring up uh, and, and explain the art of repairing armor with gold <laughs> coming from um, Kintsugi? Well, it's called Kintsugi, and let me explain it to you right now. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Spencer. Um, I couldn't think of that word. <laughs> yeah, I'm always here for you, man. Uh, one thing, I, I'm, I'm straight there with you. This plot line, pretty much from Sabine forward, felt like it was from a different show that they kind of put in here right now. It felt like very much like we'd stepped into a different, like, straight fantasy world rather than, you know, uh, what we usually have seen previously in the show with respect to the Star Wars world. I didn't mind it. It was different. It, it, it was it, it was a different kind of animal, almost like 80s pulp fantasy in terms of what she's going on and journeying out. But both the initial premise and the conclusion I kind of hated. Cause it's like... You're going to need to explain to me why there is any hope whatsoever that Ezra's out there and just living comfortably, not even a day's ride away from where they are. It's like, how is that a thing? How yeah, is he they, just, yeah, what jetpacks did they form and why? I think that, I think that there was definite jetpack situation, right? Like they just didn't want to explain the, the travel, but they had to like, cause that, that doesn't make any sense that he would be like a couple hours away. Uh, completely agree with you there. Uh, I feel like it was tonally different, but I think he was probably going for original trilogy vibe, how there would be moments in the original trilogy where they would interact with a local species and it would be like puppets and it would be kind of funny and childish. And they would throw that in the middle of episode four, five, six. I rather like it. It, 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 is, it, it gave me an interest in the Sabine character I hadn't had previously to actually spend some time with her and see how she's interacting with other creatures and other things gave me a certain more affection for it than otherwise it's been established in this show. So uh, we we gave her mount a name. Did you all name her mount? Because her mount needs a name. We gave it one. I, I didn't called, know. I, I, I just called it Good Boy. We we named it good Puppy boys. Puppy. Puppy uh, Puppy, we, Good Boy, that's all good. Yeah, it's a we wolf, all, right? I, I was going to name it Helper Horse, but Puppy Puppy went out. I think that it's also Dave Filoni's love of like wolves and dogs. He always throws that stuff in as much as he Does can. It, does it look more like uh, the things in Dark Crystal or like Alf? Because I couldn't decide. It, it, it felt like for me it was a writable version of the rodents of unusual size from Princess Bride. What did y'all think about Thrawn's decision to let her go, let her go to Ezra, but then send the mercenaries after her to kill them if they if they found, uh, you know, if she found Ezra? Again, but weird. What? I thought it was telegraphed. I, I was like, of, of course, that's why he's excited to have her. Because she's gonna go draw out Ezra. There's one inconsistent. It was one inconsistent thing for me because then later, when Elspeth is like, "Weren't you gonna send a bunch of troops to make sure that happens?" He goes, mm, "No, because I don't want to waste troops." Now that is a very thrown thing. I like they threw that in. I hope they give us more of that, noticing that he does not waste people. But the logic is starting to fall apart for me because if the if the primary goal, which he states later, is we got to get the fuck out of here and get me back into the galaxy. If that's the primary goal, then why does he give a shit? If Ezra's alive, Sabine's alive, whatever, send her out and just fucking leave. Like, don't even waste people on it. Yeah, th- this is the this is the aspect of this I didn't get. I could get him sending out the Jedi if he's intending to abandon the Jedi, the, the Dark Jedi, you know, ba- Balon and Chen. 
Which would so, totally fit that he would be seeking to like leave them behind, given his com- discomfort with the idea of force users or Balon in particular, it seems from their conversation. Dude, but then the fact he's committing resources to it afterwards, it was like, dude, you're giving me com- conflicting objectives here. And why sense? are you just now looking to get Ezra? If he's again, like visible on the edge, not even the edge of the horizon. No, he, they, no, he, see, his, his tribe always moves and doesn't stay in one place for long. It's very hard to find. Because like he wouldn't have half he a wouldn't. mile an hour. Well, no, he wouldn't have. He. It makes sense that Ezra, if Ezra survived the journey, it makes sense he'd still be alive because Thrawn's folks probably can't kill him. I mean, he is a Jedi, like he's a so, relatively fully trained Jedi. So it would make sense that if he wants to kill Ezra, that he would send the Jedi, that the dark Jedi, the company. So, OK, we finally got people who can handle him. Right. So send him out that I can follow. But then why send your own men? He still sent two troops with them. Like, it doesn't make any sense why he send them. So a freaking Star Destroyer. Use one of those 60 turbo lasers and suddenly you've got a smear where there was once a, once a Jedi. How, tell me this. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much does Thrawn do revenge? Not. Zero. Like, like zero? Okay. Then I don't understand it either. Because I, I don't understand what... His plan is, and it sounds like he doesn't make stupid plans. So I, I'm I'm willing to wait, but I don't see any explanation that makes sense. I also really don't see what Sabine's plan is here. Get him, None. and then get him back to the Star Destroyer. Get him to turn himself into Thrawn, and ask Thrawn, please take us home. No, no, What's the plan? Dude, there is no plan. You're thinking like three steps ahead. She hasn't even finished her thoughts with respect to the first step. As we see when she interacts with Ezra later. Her goal was literally just find him, and then everything else will work out from there. Knocking no, boots. No thought farther. Knocking boots. That's the plan. She just, she, look, she's just. We hurt your brain. Look, Jimmy's in pain right now processing this. She's just trying. It's just a one-night thing, man. She's just trying to get that first date in. It's just, so, so it's all are, romantic. Are you, tell, are you telling me that she's going to use her purgle fins to sexually act as the gold to repair their relationships of the plot line. <laughs> she is going to Kintsugi his That's actually Kintsugi, guys. That's, yeah, Kintsugi. I, Thank, I that's think, what I said. I think it's the guy who, like, sp- like, all right, the girl is in Los Angeles, and, and he's in New York, and he's like, I just got to get to her. And so he, like, burns all his money, hitchhikes, gets there, and it's like, okay, I'm here. Like, I, it, I just came to be with you. And I've blown all my money, and I'm I'm just here. I've just showed up, and we're just going to make it work. I think that's kind of what she's thinking. But she's she holding a boombox over her head, but the boombox is made of like a million dead babies. She didn't plan on adults. She didn't plan on Rick Rolls. Look, I burned. Isn't it enough that I burned the entire universe that you died to save in order to be here? Isn't that worth something to you? Look, all who I have killed for the sake of love. All right, so I think we've covered a lot of this that happens. We do get to a point where she's actually upset with Good Boy. I'm going with Good Boy. I like Spencer's name. We're upset with Good Boy for leaving her when guns were firing. I was like, you are a fucking moron. Like, don't hold that against that animal. Like, of course it ran. And by the way, you should give it it a lot of credit for coming back. Yeah. I mean – I don't think that animal's great. Beans. I don't think she's enslaving it again. I think it's just like a smart, good boy, and it came back. Yeah, yeah. For her to be even remotely upset with his animal is silly. He, he don't 
know you. You did not raise this creature. This is not the horse you brought with you. Can this is a guy that knows you for the sake of, I think, like 25 minutes of riding like a half mile away from where the Star Destroyer is. And she's so and selfish. Comes back. You, she's so selfish. When, when guns are firing, wouldn't you want the animal to get out of the way so it wouldn't get hurt? No, like if my, maybe, in the middle of a gunfight, I want my cat to hide. Like, <laughs> why is she mad at it? I don't get it. All right, she's she stupid. wanted the cat to go full Secret Service agent and jump in front of the bullets for her. That was so the only selfish. way she'd get loyalty here. God, Sabine Well, you know, she, she has, uh, you know, Mandalorian armor, and Good Boy has, I assume, legs that if broken, you need to put the animal down. So, yeah, absolutely. Have it jump in front of the armored person. That's so ridiculous. One thing I will say is that as much as I, I think the quality of Mandalorian has gone down a little bit over time, I have liked they've consistently been that when Mandalorians fight, they put on their fucking helmets so they don't get shot in the head. Right? I, yeah. Like, There's a the media she, who is now. He's like, what do you mean he had body armor on? I can see his head. Shoot him in the head. I'm like, like got head right there. They're all the 15 feet away using long oh, rifles. Right. Like, shoot her no, in wait. the head. Why, are she, why isn't she putting, realizing that risk? Well, she, she, well, I mean, she doesn't have her helmet. I, th- I thought she actually brought her helmet with her. Or no, did she, did she lose I it? I don't think she no, has I, it. I, I oh, okay, okay. Has that, her that's, that's my mistake. I forgot that. Yeah, well, so, and, and she would do that. That's why nobody tried to shoot her in the head. They like, still should have shot her, yes. Yeah, they, anyone else could have shot her in the head. So, in Rebels, she would do that. Like, before a fight scene, it would be very, very common to see her throw the helmet on before she went and ran and jumped into it. Um, anyway, guess what? The thing finds something. The good boy finds something. Uh, she thinks it's a rock, but she's dumb. She doesn't know anything. And guess what it is? It's a noti. That's the animal. There. It, That's the species, the noti, that, that they've discovered here. It, it is half hermit crab, half Ewok. I have a question for both of you. May the welker man come. I have a are, we, are we doing sea shanties now? We are, and it's because I think it's a whelk. Bring a sugar and tea and rum. <laughs> No, we I don't have, have those things in Star Wars. We have Death Sticks, Death Sticks, and Death Sticks. Damn. I've got a serious question for you both. I'm going to go ahead and start with uh, Spencer first. Mm. Spencer, how did the Noti get clothes on? I hated the clothes. <laughs> I really hated the clothes. How did they get clothes on? The, the thing's wearing a three-piece vest. Kind of shit. <laughs> this, 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 thing, this thing got suited at Jose Bank before he, jo- he went out for his little wander through the wander through the, the uh swamp that he's presently in where are the wonderful municipal mixed-use buildings that have a, a jose bank at the bottom of it that this thing can shop at where is it getting clothes and then when it gets how, close, it how, does, it shell? Get, how does it get it under its shell like it, it, it must be like a hermit crab where it actually can get up leave the shell completely and then just put the clothes on and then come back to the shell maybe my I, i've got a theory and i actually don't think this is true but i'm going to say because it makes more sense than anything else so okay. um they actually don't have clothes on. They're actually naked. They can just, like, camouflage themselves, and they like Ezra's clothes. They said, fuck, yeah, I can make myself look like that. Ooh, look at me. Like a chameleon that, that yeah. uh, is, chameleon, is but only, a poser? <laughs> chameleon, but only for uh, attire appropriate for a suit, uh, for a court of record. So anyway, it's like, it's like, it's like the chameleon, their default chameleon is business casual? <laughs> It's so strange. The, yeah, the clothes was a bad, bad choice. So the Noti uh, interact with 
Sabine for a while. And this really is reminiscent of like Luke with the Jawas or like Han Solo with the Ewoks. It's like very much, it it felt, it felt very, very original trilogy. And they eventually take her to what looks like a trailer park in like a really good way. Like, I mean that in a good way. Like it, it looks like they have created these mobile vehicles that they can live in. It does connect with our world slightly because it kind of looks like a trailer park. And then she's looking around. She's kind of wondering why they uh, brought her here. And boom, there it is. There's Ezra. And I can say I've never been a big fan of the Ezra character. I can't imagine I'll be a big fan of the Ezra character going forward in this because he's uh, there's a lot of problems with the Ezra character for me, which we'll talk about when you get more screen time with him. But I think they casted him well. He does really look like the animation. Um, and then they even gave him the little scar on his uh, cheek that he got fighting the Inquisitor in season one of Rebels. So there's some continuity there. And I also like the little detail that his vest is made up of Stormtrooper dog tags. So I guess maybe you could fill in the blank that Thrawn did send some people after him. And maybe that's why Thrawn says in the middle of the the episode, yeah, we've lost some people since we've been in exile. I don't want to lose any more. Maybe they've been sending people out there and Ezra's just been kicking their ass. I mean, three things. One, trick me wrong. Wasn't Ezra like on Thrawn's ship when they were pulled away by the space whales? Correct. Don't know how the, don't know how the fuck he got away, but I'm sure there's a story there where they were released in the side book. Also, the space whales, uh, they used the sex tentacles that Jamie loves so much to break in the windows to hold the ship in place. So they were in open space. So I they, don't know how any of this worked. They, they, they used, they used their, their, their sex paddles for penetration on a Star Destroyer. It penetrated the Star Destroyer and held it, in pla- held it down, held it in place. Um, but it was open space. I can't so, get past that detail. For the record, uh, I was not referring to the ancient Japanese art of the you know, octopus <laughs> tentacle stuff. That's not what the I was The fisherman's wife. <laughs> yeah, I was not getting into the ancient, actual, artistic uh, fisherman's wife. I was the discussing the, um, the, the manta ray wings on the side. T- tentacles yeah. have purpose. The manta ray wings are peacock feathers. But, those are, those are flirting. Those, those are showing, okay, showing off what the Lord gave I understand it. the distinction. Thank you. I do. Get that. Uh, those are two things. One, I'm laying sit there with you. I love the visual design of what you refer to as their trailer park, but it fits. They're mobile. They move around, yeah. whatever else. I love that their huts look exactly like their shells or look very similar to their shells. Yeah. That's yeah. a nice little cultural motif of how they've progressed from an evolutionary standpoint or just like a cultural growth history standpoint of they still view their Shell homes good. associated with their shells, even if they've now progressed beyond the need of that. Well, Shell good. Well Shell yes. tastes good. Shell strong. Mm. Uh, and the third thing I – cannot express almost how much I did not like the interactions of these two characters being reunited after 10 years for how sterile it is. Right. Uh, like from a direction standpoint, I was like, I watched that scene. I stopped. I went back and I rewatched it. And I came to the conclusion of this only emotionally works. If you watch rebels, because I'm getting nothing from these people to indicate they I give a shit about each I other. Didn't, I didn't, it, I, I, I didn't get much from it. It feels like a Folgers coffee commercial where somebody has, like, come home from probably a long time away, and there's some awkward relationship, and that's about all I got from it. So here's the only way I can explain it, and I I do have to apologize to you, Spencer. I think I got the dynamic wrong in one of the episodes. I think I told you, like, that Ezra was, like, big brother to her. That It was the exact opposite, and I meant to explain it the exact opposite. She was, like, big sister to him, Mm -hmm. and he – 
for four straight seasons flirted with her and would have these little like jokes of like, she'd be like, uh, you know, uh, nice shoes. And he'd be like, he turned to Kanan and say, she noticed my shoes, like stuff like that. Like Mm -hmm. little, little indications that he always found her attractive, always liked her, but she was older and she was always more serious than him. And I know that sounds strange, but she was. And so maybe that's the explanation here, which is that she still has that sort of like, too cool for you older like person attitude going on but i i don't understand i i i don't understand how that didn't fall apart when you think the person might be dead and you cross literal galaxies to find them i would think you would drop the too cool for school act and you would just fling yourself into their arms and hug them uh the, the that weird sort of like aloof like i Yes, I'm your friend. Look what the cat dragged in. Ah, guess they'll let anybody into this galaxy now. Yes, I'm your friend, Ezra, but like, I am not ever going to date you like vibe. You would think that would fall apart in this situation. I have a bigger emotional reaction to seeing Dooley when I see you three times a year. It's like, this is the kind of thing of where. And you don't do much. He doesn't give me much, folks. It's not much. I have the (laughs) emotion. I have the emotional range of a cabbage, and I'm still able to summon summon more than these people are right now. It's I just on the back. I feel like all three of us had a bigger emotional relationship with uh, Puppy Puppy with with Good Boy. Yes. <laughs> it's like I'm more invested. This is the problem, practically. It's like if you want to do any in lore explanation that you want to for why they're aloof and standoffish, and he's not that surprised that she just showed up in his life when he assumes he's going to be exiled for all time. She's not that over the moon that the guy she just sold out the galaxy for is here alive in front of her. That they can express just like emotional range of two teens that are not trying, they're not trying to be too emotional with each other because their friends are watching. That's what we're going to get. Preach. Whatever. Sure. Where this utterly fails is for the significant portion, I presume, of the audience of this show that didn't watch Rebels. We don't know this character. We don't know him. We don't know their relationship. Other than what little things we've seen before, this is your moment to make us care. This is your moment to invest in that through how much they care. This is our initial exposure to it. You get to yeah. sell right now what I'm investing in this, and you gave me nothing. You gave yeah. me, you gave me, you, I have had more emotional exchanges with people that are dropping off my food than these characters are having right now after not seeing each other for 10 years and traveling across galaxies to do it. <coughs> so, Lee, are you wanting, completely agree, are, are you wanting all Star Wars to be like this so that Star Wars tanks so hard that you and I can buy it for $3.50 and then you can make it yourself? Is that why you want to put this in charge of all Star Wars? But he wants to be able to break it and put it back together through a certain Japanese art that is Wait a called. Second. What's um, the word of it? What's the word? Oh, uh, damn it, Jamie! Look it Jamie, up. What, look it up. Uh, give me a second. Look it it up. Fisherman's wife. That one. Yeah, that. So the tentacles I, that no, ride everything together. Yeah, there are problems with the episode. What I like, <laughs> what I like so much about. Oh my gosh, we've got him. You've what I like, me. what I like so much about uh, Filoni is he. He loves Star Wars and it always comes out in the product and he connects the lore. And I think he's bringing in parts of legends that I really did like. I liked the death Miri. I liked, uh, Thrawn uh, and I like his commitment to that stuff and bringing that stuff back into lore. So, uh, that's, that's why I want him 
to lead it. Also, I think it's kind of a two man race. Like, I don't think anybody wants Kathleen Kennedy to run it. And, uh, I'm fairly certain that this is a better season of television than season three of Mandalorian. So yeah, I think he's, he's, he's kind of the, the leader in the clubhouse right now. Let me finish the, the recap real quick. We're almost at the end. Back to the chime here. They're loading caskets onto the ship. We had a few theory times about that a second ago throughout some ideas. Thrawn comes to the great mothers who wanted to speak to him. They inform him another Jedi is coming and he says, well, that is unwelcome news. He is, Spencer called it, um, earlier talking about the legends canon and that that has been brought in to the the current disney canon he is he does not like to deal with force users they are unpredictable they're too powerful for him and it throws his equations off so he it's not surprising to me that he reacts very negatively to the idea another jedi is coming he asked if it could be the recently deceased ahsoka tano and uh, Morgan Elsbeth, who's just taken a lot of L's this episode, says that's impossible. And he says, well, who told you that? She goes, well, Balin. And he goes, well, Balin's a Jedi. So we're going to have to take what he says with a grain of salt, too, right? Got it? Uh, and then he asks for very Thrawn here. He goes, he wants the history, background, homeworld, master, everything about her. And he wants to study that before she arrives. One of the things we saw him do in Rebels regularly is if he was going to fight a culture, a species, somebody from a particular world, he would ask for their art in battle planning so he could study their art and culture. And he felt like he could predict their battle movements based on their art and culture. That's just a little detail about Thrawn in the new canon. Um, she says, um, then he says he needs the help of the Night Sisters once, once more. I need your help once more. The threat of, and they respond, the threat of destiny demands it. The once more thing is interesting. I think on the surface, you could say that they were helping him be connected to Morgan Elsbeth. But if you want to push the theory out, it could be that they helped him reanimate his army. That's one of the things I thought I'd read into it. Anyway, done with recap. Uh, can I add one little short scene to the recap that we just, we, we only kind of addressed briefly because we were Absolutely. focused on Ezra and Sabine. Um, another scene involving, uh, Balon and, and, uh, and, um, why am I blanking on the name of his? Shin. Thank Shin. you, Shin. Best character in the show, man. you got to remember her. Sorry, man. Um, but it's when they're coming across, they're basically doing CSI Star Wars. They're coming across the, the crime scene of the old people that Sabine killed as she was going, you know, three, 35 feet away from the Star Destroyer to go find Ezra. I wanted him to just go, like, have a, a conversation of just the F word. <laughs> Shout out the way. <laughs> <laughs> they're just go, going to the crime scene. Fuck. 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 I would live for that if we get a, if we ever got a spinoff show of these characters. Um, have a code. But it, it's the two of them going through that, and it's another scene similar where the two of them are getting a, ch- a little bit of alone time to chat. A bit, where Balon's feeling nostalgic. He's in some ways gone to the world of fables, like he expressed from his that he heard about in his childhood. And similar to you know people of a certain age do, he's kind of getting lost in that, and he's just being more chatty than usual. And seeing that opportunity, Shin's kind of poking him a little bit. Like, oh, yeah, do you miss the order? Do you miss the order? Um, was Ezra part of the order? Does he understand that too? And we get, we get a, a, a series of interesting things. We get a term I've never heard before in the lore. I'm curious what you guys had. Boken Jedi? Have you guys ever heard that before? Uh, never heard bro- it. Uh, I thought it was broken. I, I looked in the script. It's Boken, which is the Japanese word, which I think is intentional. Oh. Is that, is that a, is that something that has yet to be put back together with gold using the, wait, what was the word? We, we, we're still looking that up. We got yeah, to sorry, on, sorry. Megan, uh, researchers are on that, but that it could be the before state. I, I think it's called post-spoken. Before state, before being broken. 
Uh, well, it, a boken in Japanese refers to a wooden sword. And so I think in some ways what he means there is that it's the idea they're of... They're trainees. They're, they're trainees, but they're trainees outside of the formal lightsaber or whatever else because the academy's already fallen. So he's meaning it in that kind of descended to wooden sword or trainee kind of level. <laughs> Uh, which I thought was just, uh, again, Filoni loves Japanese, you know, culture and history, likes to thread it in. That was a fun oh, way to oh, do so. That, that was in Rebels. That was, was in it? Rebels. Yeah, because um, they were having a conversation one time where they were talking about training uh, Sabine in lightsaber training. And he said she needs to use the wooden wooden swords first. And Hera said, you never made Ezra do that. And Kanan was like... Uh, yeah, that's because Ezra's a lot better than her. Like he didn't want to say it that way. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Yep. That's, a, that's a that's a fun little connect then. Yeah, they're actually using just the Japanese word for wooden sword and tying that into an aspect of Jedi training. I like that. And they um, established that like you have to do that if you're like yeah early on or not very good. But it, it, the conversation continues of where she you know kind of Shin kind of pipes up and says, "Oh, he's like me then." You know, tra- trained outside Jedi trained outside the temple. And Jamie, like you pointed out. Balin cuts that off hard of where he says, no, he was trained as Jedi. You're trained as something more. But then she pokes further on that of, well, do you miss the order? And he offers the very, yeah, he offers the very interesting comment of, I miss the idea of it, but not the truth, the weakness. There was no future there. And instead, folks, we see a little bit of what his grand ideas you guys have expressed to kill the great serpent to upend the system, to build something fresh away from just these different cycles of decay and violence. And he thinks he can find it here, and is assuming in many ways that everyone else that he's come to this world with or who's already here is running away from something that he hopes to either use, harness, or understand to make his dream a reality. There seems no small amount of hubris in that, but it's it's steeped heavily in prophecy form in a way that he's trying to slowly now expose Shen Tu and get her to invest and believe in, or almost just feel on an instinctual or force-connected level. So it's another scene I just love between the two characters. I think they're doing such a great job of portraying their interactions and us learning more about them through them. Uh, so his, his reaction to that, his explanation of do you miss the Jedi, is like if somebody asked me, do you miss your early 20s? Well, I, 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 I miss the idea of it, but there was no yeah. future there. <laughs> well, but, and, well said. And go, going a little more serious on that, it's, I felt that actually really deeply. Uh, I, 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 think, I think anybody who, and not to get too much into any specific um, world topic, anybody who's lost faith, whether that's in a religion or a culture or a country or a political movement or something probably feels like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that actually hit me kind of hard, not in a way that necessarily is productive because there's not really any real insight into that, but it gave me insight into him what? and kind of who he is. He, he wishes that the world were the way that he had been taught. He mm-hmm. liked it. That certainty, the knowledge that there was good and bad and that you could work for the good and that he was on the side of good. Um, that honor is rewarded, that, you know, uh, that we all have a voice. Um, there's a lot of broken faith in this character. There yeah. is. And See, this is the guy who should take over Star Wars. He's created the two best characters to be introduced in the canon in years. It, 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 it fits so beautifully. It also ties into several of the interactions we've seen even previously of where the nostalgia, the 
almost whimsy he has with respect to the Jedi, or even interacting with Jedi. We know he expressed before the sense of loss he has about the idea of removing a Jedi from things. He's still feeling that loss. He's still feeling that regret. It's gotten twist with this sense of he's because it was taken away from him, he's trying to turn away from rejecting it, but he can't fully leave it behind as much as he's trying to start something fresh due to how meaningful it was for him and how it was literally burned away in front of his eyes. These, this is Ray Stevens. I mean, it's, it's it's very it's good writing with respect to these characters. It's good. It's good. It's a, a good characterization that the writers have put into them. But the characterization and the acting that Ray Stevenson is adding to this, and the actress who's playing Shin right next to him, is just Shout it's out. perfect for the role they want to convey with this. Love it. Agreed. Love it. It, it, it hit me in a way that didn't really like teach me anything, but it taught me a lot about him. Yeah. Okay. Do we want to go to best line of the episode? I got. Yeah. I, I got a nominee. I get it to it, sir. Was Thrawn's introduction, what was first a dream, what was first just a dream, has become a frightening reality to those that may oppose us. Good one. Uh, I've got a whole list. But, Jimmy, you want to go next? I just wanted to go with, uh, and I I don't have it written down, the entire exchange between uh, Thrawn and Sabine. Culminating in, you know, you might be right. Like, yeah, you wouldn't understand. Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps I like that whole thing. Yes. I like that whole thing. the entire scene as well. Uh, it's, it's a great scene. Uh, I've got both of yours on the list, but i got a few other ones. Uh, er, early on, on second thought, tell me one of your stories. Your choice. Very well. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's like we talked before about the effect music can have, of just like the classic Star Wars music just immediately instills something in you. That line, well executed, I almost didn't expect how what effect it would have upon me when it hit, of where I just suddenly felt like I was wrapped in a quilt next to a fire, ready to hear somebody tell me a story. And I'm almost disappointed they cut away, because I was damn ready for David Tennant to tell me a Star Wars story. That'd be great, uh, wouldn't it? That's, uh, that's what I want in life, is David Tennant to tell me Star Wars stories. Yes. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, uh, in terms of doing scenes... The both of the scenes involving Balin and Shin, we've already talked about it, are just great. The dialogue back and forth, the more we learn about the characters, the, the delightful mystery that is wrapped up into these people is just perfectly executed in those scenes. That's great. For just a repeated line, but the delivery of Thrawn, 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 I, as we arrive on the characters and he approaches at a leisurely pace I, is great. I had to do a double take. I, I actually said, like, are they saying his name? Yep. Is that is that is that a drum? Is that his name? It, was, it clearly was his name, but it was po- powerful. It didn't sound like it, words. It was it was deep. Lee, you hit it. This so many of the scenes of the show are meant to either harken back to moments in the original trilogy or, be, or do a point of contrast with them. We talked about several scenes previously are meant to be beat for beat similar, so we can process them through different characters. This scene is meant to harken back to the several scenes we got of Darth Vader or the Emperor showing up with assembled troops. And all of those troops are pristine. The environment is is immaculate. There's not a single shred of life there. And all the troops sit in lockstep, rigid silence as the Vader, the, the Emperor Vader, walk past. We got that in terms of the original trilogy, in terms of how the world operated around Vader and the Emperor. This scene, the stormtroopers are dirty and battered and weathered. They've redone their own armor using um, a certain Japanese thing that maybe we've referenced at some point in the past. I can't really remember right, right still now. Got, still got the researchers on it. We'll, we'll get it up. Um, and they're chanting. They're involved in his entrance. They are part of christening him. To, yeah. The audience, but it's part of their own celebration that they're connected to him. 
That's such a different experience of Imperial troops associated with their authors than we've ever seen previously, but they're doing so in the same visual style of the entrance we've had of the big bads previously. But we're getting to see how different this guy is from the ones that we've known before. It's very well executed, I think, in that regard. I don't think we're done with contrasting scenes, particularly of Palpatine and yes. Palpatine's leadership, because that's that's wrote through the books of Palpatine will. It, it, sometimes he did it as obvious as Thrawn would be with Palpatine or would be in co- conversation with him and Palpatine would have a particular reaction and Thrawn would contrast it. Mm-hmm. Um, lot, I think we're not done with that. And I think that was absolutely intentional and well done. Uh, Jimmy, like you said, uh, opening line from Thrawn, one the opening lines from Thrawn to Sabina, the desire to be reunited with your long lost friend, how that singular focus will reshape our galaxy. He's just so delightfully amused at her short sightedness. He's just, he's almost, he is as tickled as we can see this guy be on the sake of, dear God, my dear, I am so delighted to meet someone so foolish. Childish. Yeah. He finds her very childish, yeah. Well, I mean, he he got he got Christmas Day because his enemy is the dumbest piece of shit in the mm-hmm. world. So he just gets Christmas. I mean, he gets everything he wants because he happens to attract really stupid enemies. In many ways, if I feel like when you know he says you've gambled the fate of our galaxy on that belief, and she, you know, as, as you said, very teenishly responds, "Oh, you wouldn't understand." I thought it was so much more effective that he actually treats that as, le- as a legitimate response in terms of how he responds to it. That if he just laughed it off, it would have been dismissive. The fact that he actually regards it and processes it internally just puts him in such stark contrast to her. He's a, um, he listens. He does listen, for sure. Um, and then just last line, again, the scenes of Bale and Shin are great. The last line from Thrawn. This is just a delightful moment of how dumb this guy is with space whales. He's almost, Jimmy, he's almost your level of done with space whales. That almost the last line of the episode is, if a star whale approaches Peridia, destroy it with prejudice. This guy does not want to deal with any more space whales in his cannon anymore. He is ready to turn those turbo lasers to a practical purpose. Trying to put fucking Ahsoka's bones in orbit. Uh, God Emperor, who's our, what's our, what's our uh, quote of the episode? Yeah, the, the one I said. <laughs> Done. <laughs> no, I, I think, uh, so I, I think that, that, that would be a, a winner. And I, I also agree with Jamie that the, and you, Spencer, the exchange with Sabine was really telling of both of those characters. And I think it, um, I'm not sure what they're trying to do with Sabine. I'm not sure if they're trying to make us root for her, but I'm going to assume that they want us to be frustrated with her. And if that is what they're going for, they're accomplishing it in spades in a very short amount of dialogue and also wrapping in how we are going to develop a fundamental respect for Thrawn. We may not be rooting for him like I am, but I think everybody will develop a respect for him. And that's really important because they're going to build multiple television seasons and a movie on him being the threat of the galaxy to take the new Republic out. You have to respect him. You have to think he's capable. So Jimmy, you raise your hand first. Go ahead. I wanted not as necessarily a bit. I wanted to ask you guys something. And hmm. audience, I haven't prepped them on this, so this is putting them on the spot. You are writer and director for the rest of the season. Hmm. What do you have happen between now and the end of the series, even? Because I don't, I don't want to lock you into exactly my episodes with Sabine. I it, just with her. What do you want to have happen if you were in charge with her story arc? They've 
They kind of big, rid themselves into some corners of her being stupid and unlikable. So, I'm a, one of the reasons that Game of Thrones is my favorite television show of all time, and no, I don't hate season eight as much as most people, is that there were consequences for actions on that show. And if somebody was doing something stupid, for the most part, they would get fucked for it. Er, like, early season Game of Thrones, Jimmy. Accept that. Come on. Okay, I, good. Because I was about to say, seven and eight do not, not follow that. I completely just complete completely disagree with you, and we can have that conversation later. I don't think they're as bad as people think they are, uh, but there are consequences for actions. When somebody does something, they typically will have a consequence for it. I would love to see more of that in the Star Wars universe, and I would love to see Sabine actually die for making dumb, selfish mistakes and losing alliances and losing the faith of her friends. I'd like to see this character actually die based on her bad decisions and there being consequences for it. I know they're not going to do that. They'll give her a redemption arc and everything will be great because that's Disney star Wars, but I would love to see her actually have consequences for her actions. I was never able to forgive last Jedi for not having consequences for the main characters for how much they fucked up almost to a man with respect to the plot line. That consequence is not on their cause, but on them particularly with respect to that. This has to have that. This They can't just put this under the rug. This can't be something that they just brush aside and forgive for the sake of friendship. She's done something truly horrendous. Millions will die for the sake of what she has done. If they go any aspect of what the Legends canon was, in terms of Thrawn coming back and what effect he has on the galaxy. Or, or millions will be saved. I don't know. Die, if you want to say millions will die to then be saved, for then the galaxy to be saved, we can get into that argument. I, you have rose tinted glasses to no end on the subject of Thrawn, and I love it, but the guy is the villain. He committed genocide on at least one occasion, and he's perfectly willing to just threaten mass murder and a wholesale and also kill people. He's not a great guy, even if he is meant to be a lighter shade of black or a lawful evil kind of villain. But the fact, However they choose to portray him, the fact that she has now unlocked him on the world is an unforgivable act. And particularly to Ezra, like, like you guys pointed out, this guy is de- de- dedicated his life and what he presumed to be the end of his life and the exile forever from his friends to keep this guy away, and she just did away with that. They need to build almost every aspect of her art going forward to people calling her out on that and her making active steps to try to fix that. Not just in the sense of preventing Thrawn. She can't prevent that. But in dedicating herself to some cause beyond her own selfish goals. If she needs to actually go on it, and so I feel like she can't die. I feel like she has to now dedicate herself to a multi-season arc on the subject of actually caring about something yeah. beyond her own nose in front of her face. To actually make this work. If you just heard me groan, it was my soul hurting because you're saying things that are true that I don't want to be true. I, th- I hope um, she does. I mean, I, okay, go ahead. No. Jimmy, go on in. Oh, uh, I was going to say, I think you're right because like, I want her to get left on the planet. I want her to be left on that other galaxy permanently. And then we like never see her again. Yeah, I, because I, I would like to see. She is what she's done should alienate every single person against her. Thrawn doesn't like her. They, they he's never going to like her. They had the whole thing in Rebels. Ezra shouldn't like her now. Ahsoka should be resentful of her. Hera should be frustrated with her. I, I don't. Who's going to save her if she gets in trouble? Like she should have consequences. I think Ezra should leave her there intentionally, and she should stay there. But you're right. Now that won't happen because the no, Ezra character is also super soft. Well, bitch made. 
I, well, hi, Doug. Didn't see you here. You know him a lot better, but he has. I'm going to lean in now with everything I've said about how people have progressed in the past 15 years, or whatever. He's had a long time to be on his own. He seems not broken. But that's seems because chill. that price worked. And now that's all undone, then 15 years of his life was from nothing. His gamble of his life was from nothing. Everybody who dies is his fault for not doing it better or something. Not successfully convincing her to not come after him. Not explaining Jedi has to sometimes sacrifice. Needs the many, needs the one, whatever. Um, I, I, I think you're right, though. Somehow, somehow Sabine's going to return, and I really don't want her to. I'm really like I, I have to be returned around on shows I'm watching. If I can help it, I'd rather just have all the other characters and not the two of them. And they're really setting her up to need like four seasons of growth and uh, making up for her mistakes. I don't want it. I don't want four seasons of her. I don't either. And I don't know Ezra, and I need you guys to not jump in when I say the first half of this sentence, but I may be a somewhat suspicious person, um, no. but I stop it. I feel like that Ezra, upon seeing Sabine, having no reason to think he'd ever see Sabine before, wouldn't like his third thing he said be like, what the fuck did you do? Because there's no legitimate way she could be here in a way that isn't screwing something up. Well, I'm sure there is. If she had just found this map in the first place, if she had just asked a whale, hey. Which she doesn't know exists. Well, she's had 15 years. And she has really smart friends. Which he doesn't know exists. Sorry. I think he assumes, I think he assumes that he, it's been a, it's a rescue mission for him and she's found it. Yeah. I think as far as it goes for him. They, they had a team. They had a whole TV show that I've never watched. They go on rescues. Across galaxies? No. They unstuffed that. That's why it took 15 years instead of 15 episodes, man. Come well, on. Again, a may- maybe the two of them are perfect for each other and they're not thinking at all. Neither of them are thinking. No, they, Ezra will be upset with her when he finds out. He he is kind of soft, but he will be upset with her when he finds out. I just don't think it'll be quite the level of uh, consequence that we're hoping for. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah. will find that frustrating. If the people that are most affected by this, who should acknowledge how bad this is, do not at least to some degree take her to task for what happened. And it needs to be to not like a mild castigating kind of degree. I'm going to find it a little bit hard to be invested. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's not. I. This is the difference that you and I often have. I will be upset in world, but it won't take me out of world. I'll just be like mad at the characters within world, but still buying in. Um, because so much else of this show has become good. Like I, I, we we're spending a lot of time on Sabine, rightfully so. She's a frustrating character, but there's a lot of other stuff I feel like is really good. Balin and Shin, Spencer, I'm glad you, glad you went back to that. I think the Thrawn piece is really effective and the intergalactic politics with what's going on with the New Republic and Mon Mothma and that whole character. We could still see a Princess Leia sighting in the, in the, uh, in the show. Um, yeah, all of it's really good, I feel like. So so much of what I'm saying is just worries about the future rather than this episode. This episode was great other than, again, I thought the interactions between uh, Sabine and Ezra in terms of, of their meeting just fell flat. utterly flat for me. Completely flat. Pretty much all the rest of the episode was varying degrees of successful, and I that, that, that's, that's quality material. I think I'm more expressing I'm worried about how Disney does plot lines in, ter- in terms of the future rather than how they execute it in this episode. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, all right, any concluding thoughts? Uh, let's go to Jamie first. Um, I want to see more Thrawn. I want to see less Sabine. 
this episode had the correct amount of hair. Okay. Spencer? <laughs> uh, I, I, I thought it was a successful episode. I thought the introduction of Thrawn, for how much they built him up, landed pretty damn well. And I think it's going to, I think, with how they're characterizing him, with the quality of the actor. Was he the voice actor on Rebels, too? He was, yes. Okay. It, it is doing quite well in terms of portraying who needs to be the arc villain of this aspect of the various shows or movies or whatever else going forward. I thought the characters they've created are great. I thought Sabine was at her best when she was actually alone, which maybe, Jamie, your, your will will be fulfilled and they actually put her alone going forward. But in terms of her going to the wilderness, it was a very different kind of show, but it was a nice little foray into that that worked rather well. So other than one standout unsuccessful scene and so a little bit some worries about where things are going forward, this episode fits into what has been a vein of improvement going through this show in almost all ways. And I'm happy to see it. it We've needed a good Disney Disney Star Wars TV show for a while now because so many of the other ones have either fallen flat or seemingly have not gotten the press they should have if we're looking at the case of Andor. Yeah, I feel like it was needed after Mandalorian season three for sure. And that's it, it's getting things back on track for the medium term goal of Disney, which is to well, have everything build to the heir to the Empire movie. So I'm well, excited about that. One of the things Dave Filoni is really good at is taking various to separate pieces from various different mediums, perhaps even broken pieces, and forging them together into a better improvement. And I, I really have to give him credit with for really gold, just, gold plating, really just introducing that concept so effectively in the Star Wars universe. All right, this has been a lot of fun, Jamie. Heroic to join today, considering the last couple of days you've had. Uh, much appreciated by me, Spencer, and our podcast audience. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back with you next week to review Ahsoka episode seven. See you then. Woo!